Curry for October 13th, 2021. It's episode number 68. Hello, everybody. How you doing? We are back once again. 14 days. We're back on the system. I'm Adam Curry here in the heart of Texas Hill Country and somewhere in Virginia, Northern Virginia. My friend on the other end, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mo Fax. How you doing, Adam? Ah, Mo. Since I started playing this track, I'm doing even better than I was doing. (laughs) Man, fire, fire. <laughs> you know, you give you give me a good track like that. I'm into it. I love that. I love it. It's good, man. We have we have not spoken at all, have we? We had have we had like three text messages in, in two weeks? I think that's about it. It's been crazy. <laughs> so, so you've been busy? Super busy. Super busy. Uh the job is getting mandate proof, you know, that kind of thing. And they're working the heck they're working the heck out of us. Uh <laughs> <laughs> really? Wait, so wait, we, preparation. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we, we got him for a little bit longer. Let's keep him. Let's work him real hard. Right. Is that what's going yeah. on? Oh, man. Of course. But you know how it goes Um, with the thing in Texas. That's a good look. So we'll see how it goes. Oh, you mean the uh, what um, the governor with did? Abbott. Yeah. Well, the, a- the fun thing about that is, of course, it's uh, Southwest Airlines who have pilots walking off the job or calling in sick. They're headquartered <laughs> in Texas. So, oh, okay. So, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, and and uh, the last I heard, their CEO had said, "All right, everyone's got to get you know vaccinated." Uh, then this morning, that mandate, or um, Tuesday morning, that mandate came out, and so now we'll see. I've, who knows? Who knows? It's you, you. You don't know, but I mean, it is what it is. In the meantime, <laughs> yes, we'll ratchet it up. Yeah. I would- <laughs> Let's wind this up. Find out what the topic will be for Mo Facts with Adam Curry, episode number 68. Ladies and gentlemen, nobody knows where it will stop except for Mo. He knows exactly what's going on. The topic will be... Critical race theory! Damn you! (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, a much anticipated uh, topic. Critical race theory. Hmm. What it is, what it isn't. (laughs) Do it, does it exist, does it not exist? It does have a Wikipedia page. It, it's some people say it doesn't exist some it's not pe- a thing hmm. it's not a thing it doesn't exist at all it's it, even though it has a wikipedia page and is a scholarly thing i think it's one of these things where people make it what they want it to be so picking up off where we left off last time on the binary thinking tip this is just like one of the battlegrounds that you know people are fighting on over oh, this it's, topic it's big um it's big. It's very big. It's very big. It's right behind uh, the coof. And it knows <laughs> and in some people's mind it might even be bigger um depending on how you, um, how you look well, at it. Cer- well, it's certainly one of the major topics of these school board meetings where people are just getting into the school board's face, you know. So it's it's definitely top of mind. We definitely that's going to be an element of it. Um I guess since so I had to tell you put your goggles on. Uh, uh, let's go ahead and get into number 2. <laughs> 
So Republicans are fanning the flames of a new culture war, claiming the teaching of critical race theory is a threat to our kids and to community relations. But this isn't just some abstract argument. They're actually pushing through legislation in state after state as we speak. Legislation aimed at making sure it can't be talked about in schools, which isn't just dumb because critical race theory isn't taught in schools to begin with. It's taught to law students in university. But it's also a complete violation of the First Amendment from a party that claims to be all about free speech. Joining me now is Kimberly Crenshaw, executive director with the African American Policy Forum. She's also a law professor at Columbia and UCLA, host of the podcast Intersectionality Matters. And she's the one who coined the phrase intersectionality and also co-founded Critical Race Theory. Kimberly, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Your African American Policy Forum is campaigning against these Republican censorship campaigns. So I want to start by asking you to please explain what critical race theory actually is, because Tucker Carlson and Marjorie (laughs) Taylor Greene clearly don't have a clue. You do. You helped found it. Define it for our viewers, please, in the simplest of terms. Well, the simplest of terms, and thanks for the opportunity. Critical race theory is the study of law and how it has been part of the infrastructure from slavery to emancipation to segregation to today, upon which racial inequalities have been uh, uh, based. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so so the the founder of critical race theory here, Kimberly, what's her name? Kimberly uh, Crenshaw. Crenshaw. She, so I, I did not know that this was, um, that it had to do with law, which reminds me of the book, The Color of Law. That's where it was birthed at. Not out of that, but it was birthed at a university. Yeah. And as you heard um, Mehdi say, that's uh, Mehdi Hassan from MSNBC. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that it's only taught in college courses. I mean, at, I mean, at, at universities. It's like, hold on, wait, that's not. What we're hearing. <laughs> no, no, that's definitely not what we're hearing. It seems to be middle school and high schools and even lower grades. Elementary, yeah, elementary school as well. Um, but this is the thing. It's like, oh no, that that's it's been this moving target. Um, I had to lay this out front. I think what happened was that sixteen nineteen was supposed to be the original uh vehicle mm-hmm. that they used to push this narrative oh uh, and, so and it got submarine got derailed yeah it sure did so it's like okay what can we dig in you know and pick up critical race theory which in itself is a is a um offensive term and let me let me explain that when it, just the words all put together when you hear critical that's alarming in itself yes. so, okay urgent it's, attention it's just, Urgent. Right. And then you throw race into anything. <laughs> <laughs> Urgent. <laughs> and we, ah, yeah. And we we do have the race ISO that I picked up, but we'll get to that later. Uh, race. And then we have <laughs> sorry. Yes, I, already, I already had it ready. <laughs> yeah, you can throw some race in there. We just how you throw some race in there. It's this it's just, just from time to time. You just gotta do that. Just I think in you know, it's like in normal family life. It's like, could you please take out the garbage? Race. And just keep doing yeah. that. It'll work perfectly. <laughs> And then you have theory, which theory just leaves everything up to debate. <laughs> yes, like it's not, it's not it's critical, it's about race, but it, it's a theory. <clears throat> yeah. So when you throw all these things together, it, it it gives people alarm just from the beginning of it, sure. and the way it's being pushed. And the title of this uh, video I'm pulling this from off uh, YouTube is called 
The truth about critical race theory co-founder breaks down GOP gaslighting. That's a hell of a title. Yeah. <laughs> so, <I'll say. laughs> so we should be familiar with Miss um, Kimberly Crenshaw from Intersectionality. Um, this is a throwback clip from show 18, She Wrote a Hero, where we covered the topic. Intersectionality is just a metaphor for understanding the ways that multiple forms of inequality or disadvantage sometimes compound themselves and they create obstacles that often are not understood within conventional ways of thinking about anti-racism or feminism or whatever social justice advocacy structures we have. Intersectionality isn't so much a grand theory, it's a prism for understanding certain kinds of problems. Okay, so that did not explain it to me. <laughs> that did not help understand intersectionality. And we had the same outcome on show 18. That it, it's a word salad. It yeah. makes no sense. It's not really a theory. And now they're doing the same thing with uh, critical race so, theory. So let me ask you a question. So um, you said you know they, they, uh, the 1619 project that got submarined, and then mm-hmm. they decided to go full-on critical race theory. Who do you think they is in this case? Uh, that's a good question. Well, you you have the Black Lives Matter Inc. crew. You yeah, have yeah. the the Democrats, which is or liberals, however you want to say it, um, which are is using this as a major, for lack of a better word, uh, taunting. It's it's used to you know the keep this pot going till twenty twenty two. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, but 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 from an academic perspective, you know. It's it's not it's not the case that uh, you know some Democrat says uh, oh time to ratchet up critical race theory that's not how you get stuff into school that's got to be a lot it's got to be f- structural you know it's got to be it's got to be a part of the curriculum I mean that's which I guess means that it's just really really nastily corrupt all the way through that's that's the point yeah. it's 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 a one of those things that can create a binary argument. And it works politically. It works uh, through social social engineering. It works. You're saying a lot of ways, and these kind of things make occur organic at first. <laughs> no, just in the wild. And somebody like I like that critical race theory. Yeah, let's push that. Mm-hmm. Or since we already had Kimberly uh, Crenshaw pushing the intersexuality. It's just a natural. Hey, I got this uh, critical race theory on the shelf. <laughs> Which thing was? <laughs> Could you grab that for me? I got some CRT over there. Because well, the thing is, this thing was created back in the 80s. So it's like, it's nothing new. I mean, it's very, it's very, um, huh. it's been around in, in the law circles for a while now. Yeah. So, um, and I, well, hopefully we'll, we'll come to understand what that means, how it's been around in the law circles. So I guess this is where we find out that, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'll let it unfold, Mo. I'm, I'm, right, I'm all that's, ears. That's what we, we going to the co-founder, so we're <laughs> going to let her explain this to, to us like we're idiots. Um, what it is, what it isn't, and what it's being used for. So let's go ahead and get into number four. Um, it's it's basically an effort to think about. We have had commitments to equality since the Fourteenth Amendment, yet our reach has not um, realized itself in in real equality. So we're basically just asking questions and looking at the way that law has been um, a, a conduit for racial inequality, and therefore what we need to do about law in order to bring us closer to the the dreams that we have as a society. But let let me be clear. 
This is not about critical race theory. Ted Cruz knows what critical race theory is and isn't. The people who are trying to create this hysteria around critical race theory know what critical race theory is or isn't. What this is, is backlash politics coming precisely at a moment where finally racial justice has become a majoritarian interest on the part of Americans from all races and all classes. So this is a way of pushing back against that without saying that we're for race. Yes. They can say we're against critical race theory. Wait a minute. So this this is the founder of critical race theory. Yes, and she's she's name checking Ted Cruz on. I mean, so so she's just a political operative. She's full of crap. She's no idealist. This is- <laughs> exactly. She's she's actually working for uh, an organization. You know, uh, I, I thought I had it here, but I don't. But. Yeah, she's working in a political capacity and a prof- well, these professors like Moonlight yeah, in politics true. as yeah, well. That's, so. that's true. That's true. I, it's just <clears throat> so blatantly obvious. You know, when you when you're doing when you're at that level calling out Ted Cruz, it's like then you are not looking at a big picture of stuff. So you're doing well, something else. If I'm not mistaken, she this was created at Harvard, right? And I think Ted Cruz is a a uh, law graduate from Harvard, so I think she's saying that oh. from that point. Oh, okay. Oh, that he knows. That makes he sense. knows. You see what I'm saying? Like he should know, uh, right? But what, what, what? Critical race theory and the law and what Ted Cruz may or may not know doesn't sound like what these parents are talking about at these school board meetings. Doesn't that sound very similar to Black Lives Matter? Uh huh. When you would say Black Lives Matter is. A, B, C, then people are like, no, no, no. It's, it's not that. It's this. You <laughs> yeah, know, it's just yeah, people yeah, yeah. So it's these things that um, could be used as a wedge um, for political gain, for social, like I said, social uh, uh, social change. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, as she said that, you know, race is front and center now, so they kind of got a seize on it. This is that unity and healing <laughs> you know, that, that, <laughs> yes, that we're hearing about. Yeah, I feel so yeah. good about it, yeah. yeah. Come on in, you're saying, for some unity and healing. So um, (laughs) let's go ahead and get into part three. Yes, well said. And you mentioned Ted Cruz, like you, an alumnus of Harvard Law School. He compared critical race theory to the KKK. What is your response to that, to Senator Cruz, on that specific comparison? Well, you know, it would be laughable if it weren't so dangerous and if it weren't so familiar. This is a mob mentality trying to Willie Hortonize racial justice. And we've seen it before. We saw it right after the end of of, of the Civil War when the idea that racial equality was anti-white racism was articulated by the President of the United States, uh, President Johnson, who vetoed uh, civil rights, saying that it was reverse discrimination. It, It took away from white people and gave to black people. But that wasn't the last time we saw it. We saw it during the civil rights movement when many white people said equality, being forced to serve you violates my civil rights. So the idea that anti-racism is anti-white is a tried and true uh, playbook uh, move. It used to be part of the neo-nationalist right. It's now moved to the center of the Republican Party on the heels of this so-called hysteria around critical race theory. Wow, this is this woman is truly disappointing me. I was ready to, to really hear something really intelligent, <laughs> so, something yes. great about some academic thing I could look into. This is just a, an operative. It's a tool for hysteria. She said hysteria twice. She did. 
she said it twice and that's what it's causing on both sides because in the minds of people that want to believe there's a good thing it's like how do you not want to you know heal racism like same thing with how do you not want to take the vaccine you know how do you not want to do your your part well how do you not want to help yeah back to the back to the binary that we've been talking about right and on the other side it's like do you know what critical race theory is and who's pushing it um where it's coming from out of harvard and my frustration is that if it's about law and how law is not being used or being misused these are the kind of people that we're supposed to look to miss um um crenshaw crenshaw that you're supposed to be fighting a good legal fight not pontificating about theories you know that don't mean a hill of beans we should be actually getting change happen and then and so and then she brings up willie horton i mean is that even a relevant name anymore does that still i have no clue who that was i didn't even have time to really <laughs> oh that's interesting oh you really? want to explain who willie Hart horton is to yeah yeah, the, yeah. Uh, yes everyone else yeah willie horton it's it's like a it's like a thing now it's like or it was for a while this was um uh, a guy who was convicted black guy uh, serving a life sentence for murder and oh okay okay now okay, and, yeah, and okay. they let him out right They're on a on right. a furlough or get out hang out at the weekend or something and he didn't come back he committed uh, armed robbery um i think rape is that in texas that was in texas no um no hold on let me take a look or florida I, no I maryland maryland okay wait wait okay. it was it he was uh <clears throat> yeah maryland he was. He was. The, wait a minute. He was the beneficiary of a Massachusetts furlough program, so he might have been in Massachusetts. Totally got by me. Yeah. I mean, that's just, well, it was. I just didn't get well, the Mo, on it. Mo, this this was um, a while ago. <laughs> this was uh, in the eighties. Okay. Well, so, like like I said, she's she's from the eighties. So I mean, like, yeah, um, exactly. Not saying that in the bad just, way, but it, no, I mean, but it her, just her. It, her, her it just seemed Paradigm very it's from the eighties. Well, exactly, and it's like okay, not very relevant, but I caught it. Okay, so well, now this is where I'm going to have to lean on you at because hysteria. You've been doing uh, coverage of this topic. Uh, I think the gentleman's name is. You want to help me with that, yeah, Matt, yeah. Matt, Matt, Ma- Ma- <laughs> Matthias de Smet. Okay, is that Dutch? Uh, he's Belgian, actually, which Belgian, is okay. uh, which, and that's the Flemish side, so that's very close to Dutch. We can understand each. It's like uh, you know, American English and British English. Got it. Got it. So, <clears throat> yeah, you've been you've been following these clips and talking about free floating anxiety, and I think critical race theory definitely falls under one of these triggers for that. So you you can give your spiel on it, and we can get right into the clip. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll just I'll just give a little background on Matthias de Smet. He's um, a professor in psychology from Ghent University in Belgium. He has a another degree in statistics. <laughs> it's a hairball. Don't worry about hairball. Ghent. In uh, uh, that's how he actually uh, started becoming very interested in what was going on because he saw very quickly as a statistician and uh, having a master's degree in that. That the numbers and the graphs that they were showing at the beginning of the uh, the Corona, uh, the the Rona crisis, that the uh, mm-hmm. that they were full of crap and they were making some very huge assumptions and mistakes, and it took him by his own admission about six months until he figured out that wait a minute, I know what's going on here. We are in a state of what he calls mass formation, uh, mm-hmm. and you can use the word formation as uh, for hysteria. 
And he and so the final thing I'll say, so I don't spoil any of the clips, mm-hmm. is that this state is a hypnotic state. It can be done by professionals. In this case, it was done by a number of factors. It can be done by professionals to a degree that this is often used in surgical settings, and people can be hypnotized, be in the same state that we're going to hear many people are, and you can mm-hmm. even cut them, and they won't even feel it, won't even know it. So it's a serious hypnotic condition. So you say under a spell. Oh, yes. Totally under a spell. Yes, sir. Spell. Before you start this next clip, I'll just like make make the point that Beyonce had a very famous song called Information. Oh, right, 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 right. Well, well, in the context of mass formation, it -hmm. means the same thing. You know, we're all standing in line. We're all, we're all, we're all together doing the same thing where we've, we've, We've fallen into the ranks. I guess we can go and get into number six. Free-floating anxiety is the most painful psychological phenomena someone can experience. And so it's extremely unpainful. It, it leads up to panic attacks, to all kinds of extremely painful psychological experiences. So what people want in this situation is something to connect their anxiety to. They are looking for an explanation for the anxiety. And now, if... This free-floating anxiety is highly present in a population and the media provide a narrative which indicates uh, an object of anxiety and at the same time describe a strategy to deal with this object of anxiety, then all the anxiety connects to this object and people are willing to follow the strategy to deal with this object no matter what the coast is that is what happens in the beginning of mass formation then in a second step people start a collective and heroic battle with this object of anxiety and in that way a new kind of social bond emerges and a new and a new kind of sense making suddenly life is all directed at battling the object of anxiety and in this way, establishing a new connection with uh, other people. That's one of my favorite clips. <laughs> so, <laughs> you have the uh, object of anxiety being race. And you have the solution being critical race theory. Yes. And how about the, f- the free floating anxiety? Which, because that, I think, every, and, and the beauty of critical race theory and people losing their shit over it is I think they're also under some form of spell and mass formation. On both sides. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's it's even in formation, you can have this back and forth dance, I would think. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you have two sides fixated on uh, the same object, and some people say, Well, this, this is a cure racism. Why, why don't you want to do it? You know, that kind of thing. And it's like, Well, do you, you have the other side? It's, Well, I'm going to push back against this naturally just because, just because the side is pushing for it. So, you brought up the point of, using statistics to manipulate people. Mm-hmm. So Medi is going to do a very fascinating trick with these numbers that he rolls out from the economist. So let's go ahead and listen to him. And then I have a sub clip of just him stating the numbers once again. And hysteria, indeed, it is. Uh, you've written nearly a dozen books on race issues, including one literally called Critical Race Theory. I want to put it in the 
mail to Ted Cruz's office. There's new polling out this week from The Economist, which found only 26% of Americans say they've heard a lot about critical race theory, with an additional 38% saying they've heard a little. Of those a little, over half say they have a good idea of what critical race theory is, or they think they do, and the majority view it unfavorably. If you take a look at the number of mentions the term critical race theory is getting over on Fox News, it's gone through the roof in recent months. How much does that worry you? How much does that tell you that this country is not in a good place, especially on the right? Oh, I have to interrupt. I am so tired of people with British accents telling Americans that we suck. (laughs) It's it's quite common now. F off, limey. You know, uh, I used to wonder a lot about how um, during the end of Reconstruction, uh, people of color and people of goodwill understood what was happening. Did they know that African-Americans were going to be completely disenfranchised and and not be able to vote for seven decades? Were they aware that violence was going to take hold in capitals throughout the South, that there were going to be coups? Um, uh, Did the media uh, participate in it? Were they uh, believing some of the lies or failing to ask the questions, failing to consider the source? And this moment makes me get a sense of what um, what it must have been like. Lies being told, people believing, and people of goodwill being confused and not knowing what to do or what to make of it. Yeah, yeah. She's following the template <laughs> and proud of it. <laughs> So if you don't know it, then you're confused. You yeah. know, if you don't, you know, and naturally, if you're confused, you just you haven't been taught yet, and we have to teach you. And once you once you're taught, then you'll understand. It's kind of like one of those things. But did you hear the numbers he rolled out, and did it make any sense to you? Well, the uh, I was distracted when he rolled out the numbers by saying they were from the Economist, and the Economist uh, since ever since they got their new uh, editor. Uh, mm-hmm. has been just one big woke heap of garbage as far as I'm concerned. So I can't, I did not really hear the numbers. And, and by design, you didn't because I took just the number, his rollout of the numbers, and I put it in this little sub, sub clip, and we can even play it like two, three times to listen to the actual number that he's referring to. There's new polling out this week from The Economist, which found only 26% of Americans say they've heard a lot about critical race theory with an additional Stop. 38 a lot, a lot. So only twenty percent, twenty six percent has only heard a, a lot, lot about the movement. So <laughs> Not, we're only talking about that twenty six percent right now, okay? Yeah, okay. Twenty six percent has heard a lot. Okay, a lot. All right. Say they've heard a lot about critical race theory, with an additional thirty eight percent saying they've heard a little. Of the- oh wait, okay. wait, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so let's add those two numbers up. Okay, we're well over fifty percent. Yeah, have heard something. Yes. Okay. Of those, a little, over half say they have a good idea of what critical race theory is. Stop. Okay, that's of of those 54. Yeah. They say they have a good idea what critical race theory is. How can you, okay, now I'm, is that 54% of the 38 or the 26? Because he said of those. I think the 38. Okay, so now we're down half of 38. Mm Mm-hmm have a good idea so that's what 19 percent, mm-hmm. roughly 20 say 20 rounded up to 20 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay now we're talking about 20 percent of people yeah okay now i'm just saying he's doing a subset of a subset of a subset yeah of course like, <laughs> but just, keep, keep going this is great critical race theory is well they think they do and the majority view it unfavorably 
Okay, now the majority of the 54% of the 38%. <laughs> yeah, this I, I, I should actually look at those numbers. I don't know if he's explaining it right, but it's... It, what I'm saying is that this the way he's delivering yeah, it is he's throwing yeah. these numbers out at you. He's saying 38%, and of those, 45, I mean 54% have a good idea, and half of those of that 45%, um, Excuse me. Half of a majority of that fifty-four percent of the thirty-eight percent. It's like, we, yeah, he, you, you he, couldn't say this any more confusing. He could have just said "humana, uh, humana, humana," and it wouldn't have mattered. People didn't get it when he said it like this, and they won't get it anything else he says. Now let's listen here in con- let's hear fully in context and what he su- he surmises from his data. There's new polling out this week from The Economist, which found only 26% of Americans say they've heard a lot about critical race theory, with an additional 38% saying they've heard a little. Of those a little, over half say they have a good idea of what critical race theory is, or they think they do, and the majority view it unfavorably. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's. I think I think the whole point is... Blah 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 blah. The majority view it unfavorably. <laughs> that was the message. That's the point. That's the message. Right. Yeah. Which, but they use these numbers to make it sound official. Make you sm- sound make them sound smart. Mm-hmm. You'll feel subconsciously dumb because you couldn't follow that riddle of a word problem, <laughs> and rightly so. Yeah. Um, because it's like let me break out the pen and the pad and f- actually figure out if I want to really understand uh, if I'm listening empathetically. Um, I'm trying to understand what he's saying here, yeah. but you you ran me into a circle, and that's by design because once again the clips that you've been presenting on mass hysteria it talks about bogus statistics. I'm a professor in clinical psychology at the Ghent University, and I'm also uh, I also have a master degree in statistics. Um, but um, uh, in this crisis, I, I've been taking. Uh, the perspective of, of mass psychology, yes, indeed. Uh, in the beginning of the crisis, uh, I, I, I have been studying the statistics and the numbers, and um, uh, actually I noticed that they were often uh, blatantly wrong, uh, and, and at the same time people continued to, to, to believe in it and to, 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 to go along with, uh, with, um, uh, with uh, the, the, the mainstream narrative. And that was why I, uh, I started to, to, to study it rather from... Uh, from the perspective of mass psychology and because I knew that uh, mass formation has huge huge impact uh, on uh, individuals intelligence and cognitive functioning and I I had the feeling that this was the only thing that could explain why highly intelligent people uh, started to believe in, uh, in, 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 in a narrative and in numbers that were uh, in many respects uh, utterly absurd I like that what you're doing here. I, li- I like the comparison between uh, lockdowns and mandates and masks and uh, and hysteria and Black Lives Matter or critical race theory and hysteria. And uh, just so you know, I, uh, I know Matthias. He reached out to me and we have uh, contact. So if we ever want him to, you know, we, we could certainly suggest that he might want to do a little analysis of uh, of critical race theory or BLM or just the hysteria. He might be interested in that. <coughs> I think it's. I think that would be a wonderful idea because what we're seeing is, as you uh, mentioned before, and kind of a foreshadowing, the all these topics are finding their way to school board meetings yep. and town hall meetings, <laughs> and they're having the same kind of response. Um, so now we have to go to the other side, which being Fox News 
and they have and and just in complete transparency carol swain who she works for the 1776 commission and she's a former princeton professor and what she's going to do so you have this 16 um excuse me 16 19 from harvard critical race on one side and you have this on the other side and she's going to talk about biden and him promoting the uh non-existing <laughs> CRT, CRT group. Well, yesterday we reported on the Department of Education's handbook for reopening schools, including a link to a radical activist group that wants to send white teachers to anti-racist therapy. Yeah, we saw that and we said, what's that about? Well, now the administration backtracking a Department of Education spokesperson telling Fox News, quote, the department does not endorse the recommendations of this group, the abolitionist teaching network, nor do they reflect our policy positions. It was was an error in a lengthy document to include this citation. Well, here with her reaction, Dr. Carol Swain, former professor at Princeton and Vanderbilt Universities and vice chair of the reconstituted 19, or 1776 Commission. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. So, Dr. Swain, they say it's an error, but is it really an error? They had to intentionally go in and put that link on page nine. So this is a this is a, a guidebook to reopening our schools, reopening because of COVID. And on page nine, there's a link you click on it and it directs you to this website. Well, if it's an error, it's one of many that the Biden administration has made. Ever since day one, it has aligned itself with radical groups. It has pushed critical race theory. And what I believe is happening is that Democrats are realizing that this is a losing issue for them. Wait a minute. So they they put a link into the abolitionist teaching network? Network. They put it in the how to reopen schools guidance for COVID. Wow. I'm looking at the way I put it in the show notes, of course. Uh Wow. All right. Oh, well, you know, when I heard that, the abolitionist teaching network, I had to go follow the network. So I find Mr. (laughs) Kevin Melrose. Well, he's not famous. He's not famous. Let me make me clear. But he's a big supporter uh, and believer in the abolitionist teaching network and what they believe. And he goes on to um, speak on talking points by Dr. Uh, Benita L. Love. Um, and she's like the, one of the founders of the Abolitionist Te- Teaching Network. Now, uh, in my empathetic space, <laughs> which, which, you, which you're Kevin, very good at. You're good at it, Mo. You've, you can, I, you've got a lot of empathy. I, I try. I really try. But I, I will not call Kevy a cuck because of <laughs> my empathy for him. But if you had to, if, if it ever was one, and I'm not saying this because I'm just saying that the way I will be covering this on Lost Tapes, because <laughs> this is one of those things that you, you need gotta to have dive a little with. deeper. Okay. Yeah. I got, oh, you got to the video. With. Yes. That'll be right. next Wednesday, everybody. Next Wednesday next on the Wednesday, YouTube. Eight o'clock. Yeah. So, but we're going to get into being a co-conspirator. No, it's the, excuse me. Let's say it right. The Co-Conspirator's Guide to Abolitionist Teaching. All quotes and credit go to Dr. Bettina L. Love. Thank you. Hello, my name is Kevin Melrose. I'm a middle school social studies teacher with Indianapolis Public Schools, and I'm here to talk with you today about abolitionist teaching. Abolitionist teaching is an idea brought forward by Dr. Bettina L. Love, who is a professor at the University of Georgia and one of the co-founders of the Abolitionist Teaching Network. Now, what is abolitionist teaching? 
abolitionist teaching is the practice of working in solidarity with communities of color while drawing on the imagination, creativity, refusal, remembering, visionary thinking, healing, rebellious spirit, boldness, determination, and subversiveness of abolitionists to eradicate injustice in and outside of schools. Abolitionist teaching works hand-in-hand -hand with anti-racist teaching. Now, all the ideas I'm discussing today, I've gathered from this book. It's absolutely incredible, and I highly encourage all of you to read it. What I will be discussing today is going to be focusing on what people that look like me with a similar status and privilege can do today to become abolitionists. Abolitionist teaching means putting something on the line in the name of justice. Wanting dark folks to thrive and giving up power and positions in order for dark folks to do so. The work of recognizing and checking white emotionality is done before you enter dark spaces. White folks have to get well on their own terms before they engage with abolitionist teaching. Hold on before we before we discuss this. I, I need to hear the last ten seconds. I just got okay. I got to get I got to write down some of these terms here. Abolitionist teaching means putting something on the line in the name of justice. Wanting dark folks to thrive and giving up power and positions in order for dark folks to do so. The work of recognizing and checking white emotionality is done before you enter dark spaces. White folks have to get well on their own terms before they engage with abolitionist teaching. Oh, my head hurts. Uh -huh. Okay, dark books. Dark books. No, dark folks. Oh, I thought he said dark books. He said dark, no, dar dark, dark folks. folks? Yeah. Dark, who the hell says dark folks? You, I'm telling you, Kevin. Hey, look, Kevin, come close. If you're listening, <laughs> listen, come on. You ever say dark folks around dark folks? Yeah, you, you, gonna, you get your you ass kicked. You get your you ass kicked. I'm just saying, I don't know what they're teaching you over there at the uh, network, but don't come around so called black people saying dark folks and wow. dark, dark spaces. Yeah. And, yeah. And then he, and then just to balance it, white emotionality. Woohoo! I think I had some of that for breakfast. But you hear that this is the this is that teaching that that, that Biden's administration is pushing uh, on these. Uh... <laughs> it's really phenomenal because what he said was nothing. It was just a whole bunch of words and descriptions, and then throw in dark spaces and dark folks and white emotionality. It's one level deeper. It's well, you thought doing the work, you thought you know doing the work was going to do it. No, 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 no. You had to go a level. <laughs> no, deeper. that was just the beginning. That was just training wheels, right? You have to come deeper and really relinquish your power. Which, if you're giving your power away, that means you still have power. And that's what these people don't seem to understand. Hmm. But what they want to do is not seem like the white savior, which has became a trope or a meme, like uh, in these movies, where like the white teacher comes to the black neighborhood. Yeah, but it's you know also true. But, but it's a cliche, but it's because it's true. That's, I, but that's what they're trying to avoid. They're trying, so they're like, I need. You think that's real? It's kind of like the thing with like when people like going vegan. It's like you know, oh, that's I have vegan, uh, non-GMO, organic, hand raised. You would know say it's like <laughs> yeah. always one level deeper with <laughs> with how real it is, but it's still you come from a place that you had to give me something. Like I can't do it for myself, and that's what they it just totally misses them. 
It to- it totally misses how condescending it is to say before you go to dark. What are, where, where are dark spaces? I I think I think that's uh, if you go into clubhouse and then you got to hit a special code. You turn left and then you get to the dark space. <laughs> the dark people in dark space, and you know how I feel about words. Yeah, and, well, dark. First of all, folks. I hate folks. Yeah, folks well, are just it, rude. <laughs> with, with an X or without an X. Because that's the other thing they're trying to get. They they tried to get that one to roll out on black folks. No, they tried to do F O L X. Yes. Nah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, that's great. <laughs> so I don't know if he's saying folks in that way of the non-binary, uh, non-offensive way, or mm-hmm. if he's saying it with the traditional. Give me more uh, from this guy. Give me more from this guy. Let's go ahead and get more conspiratorial too. Now, you may be saying to yourself, Kevin, I Kevin. am an ally. I believe in social justice for everyone. While that is great, it's simply not enough today. We cannot just be allies. We, as white people, must be co-conspirators. Okay. Allies do not put anything at stake, and in today's day and age, that is simply not enough. Blackness is not a condition that needs saved. White people that are trying to go into the classroom to save black and brown children are totally misguided and have no idea what these students actually need. The definition of a co-conspirator is to stand in solidarity and confront anti-blackness. A co-conspirator functions as a verb and not a noun. Co-conspirators can also be men who understand their privilege and work to challenge and undo the patriarchy. However, we cannot have these conversations about racism without talking about whiteness. The time-consuming and serious critique and reflection of one's socio-cultural heritage, which includes identities related to race, ethnicity, family structure, sexuality, class, abilities, and religion, taken side by side with a critical analysis of racism, sexism, white supremacy, and whiteness is the groundwork of co-conspirators. Teachers who say they are deeply concerned about social justice or that they love all their children or I don't see color but cannot say the words black lives matter have no real understanding of what social justice is and what it truly means to love, find joy, and appreciate their students and their students' culture. Um, <laughs> Mo, uh, you're the right guy to ask. Uh, yes. Uh, are you, do you know of any uh, dark folks with an X? Uh, who would uh, hear this guy and go, oh, yeah, spot on? No, I don't know of any because it's like, oh, yeah, that's what we need. We need white people who are co-conspirators and they're clued in. Yes, that's that. That's, <laughs> it's like, who, who was I was reading? I mean, it's, uh, it's, I, a, it's a, he's he's in it deep. I, I mean, I feel it's like it's like he he he, got, he he feels he got invited to the cookout, and he can and he's a he he knows what to say now. I don't know. It's he's, it's very he's uncomfortable. Been up all night studying and in like he just verbatim spills out whatever these uh this network is teaching, and and this is this is their ideal product that they want to have on the backside of this. Which for me personally. And I mean, if it, like, there may be others, I'm sure there's others out there like that. It still smacks of you think I am I'm a victim. Yes. <laughs> even though you yes. try to max that you're a white savior, it's like I acknowledge that I'm a white savior. And the fact that I acknowledge that 
it doesn't make me a white savior now. Right. So, right. You know what I'm so, so it's like what? It's right. They have a store on their website. I need. I'm gonna see if they got any cool little hoodies with something stupid on it. <laughs> oh yeah. Ooh, we can get the abolitionist. And you know, the abolitionist teaching network is all in uh, the Pan African colors. It's interesting. Okay. You know, the red, the black, the orange, the black, the green. Of course, it, ha- it has to be. It has to be on 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 message, a message on point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, what Kevy needs to realize, and I'm speaking from a place I want to help. I know I didn't. I didn't call Kevy a cook. What I'm saying is, if you wanted to cast somebody in that role, he would probably you probably <laughs> he would prototype him around right <laughs> central because uh, he because he, he just doesn't want to be a fan, and I get it. And he's probably been browbeaten so bad. What does he do? He, what What is his vocation? What does he do? He's a so he's a he's a middle school social studies teacher. Oh, no wonder these, these are no wonder in, no wonder a, these parents are so pissed off. This is like I said. This is the product that they're trying to create mm-hmm. to destroy the patriarchy. He said it himself. To be an ally, you must say Black Lives Matter. And what Kevy doesn't realize is. The Black Lives Matter brand is so tattered and you know what I'm saying and marred. Yeah, right. Whenever you say that, no matter if you're saying it from always a place negative. of Black Lives yeah, Matter or no. boots on the ground, you're gonna if people hear in the in the binary world, they hear Marxist. And for that, I have Patrice Colors, the um <laughs> one of the founders of Black Lives <laughs> Matter, uh addressing if she's a Marxist or not. So y'all asked, and I am ready to answer. Am I a Marxist? Let's get into it. Hey everybody, my name is Patrice Colors. I am the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. I'm also the executive director of the Black Lives Matter Global Network. And welcome to my YouTube channel. We're gonna talk about something that I have been accused of over the last several months. It's been intense at times, it's been hilarious at times, but I feel like I need to set the record straight. Am I a Marxist? I've seen a lot of y'all's comments. In fact, I got them right here. Do not fall for their trick. They're pushing a communist agenda. I'm sorry, this is really funny. (laughs) So despicable how Marxists have infiltrated the civil rights movement and turned it into a monster. She is trying to burn the whole system down. Admitted trained Marxist and Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors sends strongly worded letter to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris demanding they bow to their Black liberation domestic terror agenda. We warned you this was coming and now it's here. Patrice Cullors is a Marxist. All right, y'all. I mean, let's, let's just talk about it. Am I a Marxist? I'm a lot of things. I do believe in Marxism. It's a philosophy that I learned really early on in my organizing career. We were taught to learn about the systems that were criticizing capitalism. We were taught to understand why there were philosophies that were criticizing capitalism. Wait, wait, is she walking back that she said she was a trained Marxist and proud of it? Is she walking that back? No, she's walking in a circle because she went around and read all the comments saying basically that she's a self-admitted Marxist, which yeah. she said she's yes. a well-trained Marxist. Yeah. I mean, I didn't I feel like I needed to play the clip because we, uh, we've addressed it enough. But then she goes to this and then she does the Kamala laugh. Yeah, um, yeah well, and, and very inappropriately. You know, uh, yeah. 
Right, like it's like it's such a joke. Like, how could these people believe I'm a, I'm a Marxist because I said I'm a Marxist? And so it's like, huh? Well, like, this is the mind loop. And then she goes around saying, "Yeah, I, I am." No, she doesn't say I'm a Marxist, which uh, you know, I I believe in Marxism. I got the thirty nine. Uh, I got the thirty nine second clip of her saying. We can go ahead. You just go ahead. Then. Um, I think that the criticism is helpful. Um, I also think that it might. Um, I think of a lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Um, <laughs> okay, I heard that. But then it's a joke. It's like, I don't, it's, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how people can think I'm a Marxist by me just saying it. I don't, yeah, that's know, weird. Who are that's, you? To, it's pretty racist of you to hold me to my words. Yeah, I mean, I don't, <laughs> don't even know what a Marxist is, probably. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you say you're attacking capitalism, that makes my ears perk up because I don't know about everybody else, but I enjoy capitalism uh, when it's in, in its right form. And I, of course, I always criticize what we have now as some kind of corporatism or yes <laughs> but in the in the sense of the harder i work the more i make you know um when it works that way two, yeah when it yeah, works when it that wor- way then then it's I, true capitalism but if you give me what i have now compared to marxism i can't go that route because i know what comes with it um so yeah so that's when she lost a lot of people and that's why she had to go on her youtube channel and address this topic but i think poor kevy doesn't realize when you <laughs> when you and i say that like i said with empathy now i don't think he realizes when you say black lives matter that's a loaded term now yeah it's no, it's no longer uh it's no longer on vogue and now it's and once you attach that with critical race theory it's just like it's, it's toxic, everything is tainted, toxic right? it's, yeah it's very it's like radioactive it's like you know we went for 1619 and Black Lives Matter. Well, we got to get rid of Kevy. Yeah. Kevy's no good. He's got to go. He's screwing it up. Well, I mean, Kevy is a product of what they've created. I mean, this is, you're looking at what they, the prime what example yeah, what of what is. they want on the backside of the training. So let, with that said, let's go ahead and get into the final clip with Kevy. We cannot have conversations about racism without conversations about intersectionality. When teachers shy away from intersectionality, they shy away from ever fully knowing their students' humanity and the richness of their identities. Mattering cannot happen if identities are isolated and students cannot be their full selves. Fighting oppression is not just a hashtag. The real work is personal, emotional, spiritual, communal. It is explicit with a deep and intense understanding that loving blackness is an act of political resistance. And therefore, uh, it is a fundamental aspect to teaching dark kids. I mean, I, I, I'd like to interrupt. I just want to go, I just want to hear what he said there again. Communal. It is explicit with a deep and intense understanding that loving blackness is an act of political resistance. Loving blackness is an is act of political resistance. resistance. Mm-hmm. But what did he start the clip off with? Intersectionality. Yes. Who coined the term intersectionality? The same people that does critical race theory. That was the, the Crenshaw lady. Exactly. It's the holding of the door. Here, black people hold the door for critical race theory. <sighs> and in that, we're going to teach a whole bunch of intersectionality. And if you're uh, 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 cisgendered male of the of the dark kind. Oh, I've learned a new uh, <laughs> term. I've, I've learned a new term. It's cishet. Huh? We are 
as far as I know. Cishet. Bro, I'm super straight. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I mean. It's cishet. I know, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> if you wanted to find me, I'm super straight. Right. So in uh in the uh, in the critical race circles, you are cishet, which is almost like an epi- it's almost like a, a slur. I only got one badge. I only got my dark badge. Yeah, you no more badges for you. The only badge you get. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you are you are you a midget? Are you under four feet tall? Because you can get an extra small badge. Person. For that. Oh, Curry, <laughs> small person. Curry, small person. I know enough midgets. I'm okay saying it. They they, they they'll try and beat me up. Oh, you're midget adjacent, huh? You just gonna flaunt your privilege on me. I'm a midget ally. That's right. All right, let's continue with with our. Uh, no, I'm just saying, but that's how ridiculous it can get. Is now okay now it's intersection now and you see how quickly he just slipped oh right into it from one to the other and that's that's how it's gonna go and it's like hold on you want to attack the patriarchy that's a no for me you want to attack capitalism that's a no for me and then you do this sleight of hand from uh dark dark topics to uh to um and that's that's very kevy better be careful i'm just i'm just saying this once again for kevy and anybody that may be listening when you say dark people, don't be like that's heavy. so close to darky. Yes, like, yeah. Please do not use that term. Please, please. I just, I, I beg you. But now back to the Marxism. Well, hold, let me, let me, let me play the the whole. We didn't play the whole heavy clip. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I interrupted it. So I'm going to start <laughs> okay. it from the beginning so we can get the full effect of the full heavy effect. We cannot have conversations about racism without conversations about intersectionality. When teachers shy away from intersectionality, they shy away from ever fully knowing their students' humanity and the richness of their identities. Mattering cannot happen if identities are isolated and students cannot be them, their full selves. Fighting oppression is not just a hashtag. The real work is personal, emotional, spiritual, communal. It is explicit with a deep and intense understanding that loving blackness is an act of political resistance. And therefore, it is a fundamental aspect to teaching dark kids. Only after unpacking and interrogating whiteness, white teachers, and really all teachers, must unpack how whiteness functions in their lives. Then, they can stand in solidarity with their students' communities for social change. We're now going to transition to what social studies teachers like myself can do to become abolitionist teachers. And that all starts with pedagogy. Pedagogy should work in tandem with students' own knowledge of their community and grassroots organizations to push forward new ideas for social change and not to just be a tool to enhance test scores or grades. Pedagogy, regardless of its name, is useless without teachers dedicated to challenging systematic oppression with intersectional social justice. Many public and charter schools have centered this idea of character education and it has replaced civics education. However, character education is anti-black. Oh, really? Which that goes into respectability politics. Like when you when you try to teach people, you know, what's respectable or not. Mm. Uh, that's that's completely racist. Um, <laughs> but the, the interrogation of whiteness. Like these are these terms <laughs> when people from the other side of the binary coin look at it, it's like you want to interrogate white people, huh? Yeah, I mean, it, which that has its own imagery of like a spotlight that's swinging. You know what I'm saying? Like, where are we on the fourth? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, <laughs> that kind of thought. So, but these I, are the I mean, trigger I, the, words. Now, that, this yeah. guy, how old is he? He can't be older than twenty eight, twenty nine. 
Yeah, he, he he doesn't look very old at all. I mean, he's he's probably fresh out of college, maybe four or five years. I would say. Oh, so this is this is it, huh? This is the social studies. Now, of course, the the problem which I'm recognizing now is that what he's saying and and all these things it it's it, it is not critical race theory. So when people say critical race, when Ted Cruz says critical race theory. Yeah, and everyone who is doing this can say, you have no idea what you're talking about. That's not critical race theory. Mm -hmm. Because it's not. It's just evil. (laughs) It's it's lame. It's lame. It's not, but it's it's not. It's perfect. It's perfect because it's not what the topic is. Because when you actually say that word and go read the book, it's a law theory. Mm -hmm. Yes. But the way they're selling it, uh, to the middle schools and elementary schools and high schools as this rethinking of race, uh, th- seeing things, everything through a racist or racial lens. I'm going to say racist, a racial lens. And it's, and yeah. to do that, it's like, you have to admit that you're racist going back to, uh, white fragility. Got to start. So you got to, got to, got to atone. White man got to atone right off the bat. Which and it's not even atonement because we know what that means as well because you can't force atonement. It's you know a person has to want to atone. You know what I mean? Like it's it's I want to do this. Ah, no. but, oh, hold yeah. on a second. Uh, of the white people I know who are completely into this, mm-hmm. Mo, they really do want to atone. They really do feel the guilt. They they in fact do interrogate themselves on this. They do workshops. There's I totally de- believe you. There's a lot of people who are doing that, and they're very. Now, I think there's also a lot of people I've heard talk in social settings where they talk a big game. But are they going to go sign up for the, you know, the for the course now? The, but oh yes, oh it's so important. Well, Ke- yes. Kevin said, if you want to be a real ally, I mean, not an ally, because he said you need to be a co-conspirator. Ally is not enough. All you people out there that you just doing the talk, it's time to walk the walk. It's time to put something on the line. Kevin said it. You have to put something on the line, like your name on a check. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Hand it up. That's what they want. I, That's the whole point. I want, I want to try and get something out before I forget. Or Please. Before it passes. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think this is a true scenario. Because, you know, I used to hang out back in the Austin days with the uh, the Obama bots. And so, I, you know, I'd, I was accused of very early on, years ago, six six and a half years ago, uh, by Professor Pennebaker, who was at one of these dinners, and he's a—I'm a big fan of his work. He does the performatives. That's his—that's his big body of work. Um, and he and his wife were there. Well, they were just sitting there saying, "Well, you know, you have white privilege." And I'd never heard of this. So, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's so obvious. So these people—they—they um, they are so racist without knowing it. Here's how I perceive it. So they'll talk these big games. Oh, it's so important. And then there will be a name. And it'll be someone, you know, it's not going to be Kevy. It'll be, uh, you know, either like a Patrice Colors or mm-hmm. I, can, I can actually just go down, uh, you know, let's see. I can just go to the, uh, the Aboli- Abolitionist Te- Ab- It's hard to say for me. Abolitionist Teacher Network and just look at our people. And let's see, we have, um, uh, we have, let's just grab one. We've got Ashley, she, her, hers, activists mm-hmm. in residence. And so the way it would go at this dinner party is, oh, I met Ashley, she, her, hers. And she's the activist in residence at the uh, Abolition. She's so impressive. She is just, I mean, she is, she's just, oh my God, you have to meet her. And I'm doing my Becky voice. 
Yeah, I know what you're saying. And so they will take a person, a dark person, and they will, um, and they elevate them. And then, and it's almost like a worshiping of, you know, this is, oh my goodness, she's, oh, this is so good. Yes. Oh, we all can learn so much from her. And I've always, it gives me the creeps when people do that. I've said a term, I don't know if I coined it or not, but I call that conspicuous consciousness. Conspicuous consciousness, okay. Right, so conspicuous consumption is when you Ah. buy things for people to know that you have money, that to know that you have wealth. You know, I'm going to buy the the virtue signal. It's virtue signaling in a way. Right, but but what you're saying is the conspicuous um, consciousness is I'm going to go find Ashley and put her into my circle. Yes. That way I can let other people know. And like I said, virtue signaling is one of those terms. And like I said, I don't use those terms because it's just, it has, it has its own meaning now. It's yeah. not the actual meaning. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Right. So when you say conspicuous cons- um, consciousness, it's you want to be conscious so people can know that you're conscious, you yeah. know, of, or you're down, you know, for the cause, that kind of thing. So right, and um, but, but I've and and by the way, my family, uh, my whole family is like this. Uh, all white, uh, extremely upper class, either political or in uh, intelligence services, and it's you know they're not racist. I I know my family, but it's just insincere. I know they don't really mean it. It's preemptive. It's it's worse than it's, it's that. Pre, it's, it's pre. I mean, it's preempt. It's um. <coughs> excuse me. It's <coughs> excuse me. It's preemptive in the fact that before I even the notion or it can be thought that I'm uh, right. Let racist, me let, let me let you know right away. Yeah. Right. Let me get yeah. the book and lay it on the yeah. white fragility book. Lay it on the coffee table. Let me put the Black Lives Matter <laughs> yeah, where, sign up in my where, yard. Where I, I, you know, I was on Megyn Kelly today. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, right off the bat, I name checked Mo Fax, you know. Oh, awesome. But I felt like saying, like, you know, I have I have a black friend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have one black friend. By the way, I laid the black queen, white queen on Megyn Kelly. She loved it. We were talking about Merkel. Merkel. Uh, oh, okay. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh no. You got to hear this. It was it was dynamite. <laughs> it was like Mo Fax all the way. You'll love it. So that's the, that's the thing though. It's it's is it preemptive or is it out of fear or is it just out of your true empathy that you want to understand somebody? And that's what we do here, right? You uh, you come yeah. here, I come here, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Yeah, I, and I don't think it's out of empathy to understand people. I remember my uncle um called me one day, um, and he was you know he was he was ambassador and he was you know all kinds of. You know, in Korea, I mean, he's CIA. He's been around, right? So he's he's been in an interesting situation, and so he's way, he's way retired. This is maybe 10, 15 years ago. He calls me up and said, "Adam, uh, I got to go." You know, he was working for some think tank, the Korea Society. I'm sure it's a front for something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was he was the president of uh, of the Korea Society. He says, you know, Adam, I'm going to be talking to some inner city youth, uh, and I really want to be able to connect with them. Uh, and I guess he was calling me like MTV guy. Maybe I have some hip hop tips for him or something. And, I, and it's, I'm telling he says, so, uh, you know, should I let them know that I, for years, I walked around with an Uzi uh, strapped to my arm and would that connect with them? <laughs> so, so, I was speechless, Ma. I was fucking speechless. Only if you held it sideways. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> say, Uncle Don, if you if you can do that gangster like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that you'll connect with. Otherwise, stay away from that. <laughs> but that's why we have to do what we do here is to be empathetic because like all these people mean well they I don't mean think well Kevin, yes of course he doesn't mean you know but when you go binary it's like either are you given a binary option or you you're a racist if or you want to be yeah. a co-conspirator it's like okay yeah um well i don't want to be a racist so i have to be a co-conspirator and that's where and that's what happened to ally are. what happened to ally why did it have to no, be no, co-conspirator no 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 because you don't have anything on the line if you're just an ally, you're just talking to talk. Uh, co- you got to be conspirator does work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I, you got to give some of that privilege up, which I don't understand how you do that. Um, it's like, let me, here, here's a quarter share of my privilege. Uh, yeah, exactly. If you want to wear that around, I, I don't, I mean, it's, it's still walking the walk. I mean, still talking to talk, but it's just, I'm willing, I, if, if I'm, if I'm pushed to it, I'll, I'll put something on the line. But what troubles me is when you hear communist and Marxism and the reason why that is, I have a um, clip here. It was actually it was an ad from MSNBC from one Melissa Harris Perry oh. uh, on who owns kids. We have never invested as much in public education as we should have because we've always had kind of a private notion of children. Your kid is yours and totally your responsibility. We haven't had a very collective notion of these are our children. So part of it is we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. Once it's everybody's responsibility and not just the households, then we start making better investments. Oh, all your kids belong to us. Yeah. Interesting. And that's, that's, that was an old clip. That, that comes from. I miss her. I miss her. She, she, you know, it, although, you know, Joy Reid is, is even more fun, but I do miss, uh, miss. She was around optics. Oh, no I'm kidding. I'm be honest with you. Yeah, no, she was definitely. And she, and she was, <laughs> she was the wrong optics because they had to go. And this is the conspicuous consciousness it's like well we can't have melissa harris perry up there you know she's awful fair-skinned yes. uh, we need a dark person uh <laughs> some dark folks up here dark person. Yeah, some dark folks. Dark person. Yeah. yeah really dark dark spirit that joy reed has yeah so that's that's where you see this kind of uh shift uh and it's in it's by it's like i said it's a conscious decision by whoever's making the calls but that's what troubles me and that's what troubles a lot of other people when you hear this talk of your parents, your kids don't belong to you. We can teach your kids what we want to. Mm-hmm. There's a heated gu- a gubernatorial race in Virginia right now. Yes, uh, and that's, that's, that's your the, backyard. And what wasn't there some some scandal? The guy said something. Or give us the rundown. Yeah, yeah he he's basically said the same thing that she said that we can we we could teach your well uh, it's our job to teach your kids what the t- uh, what they need to know, not the parents. And it's like a hit ad that they're running like on verbatim, but it's it's the same thinking. It's like. We know better than you. Um, the scary thing is they mean it. Yes. Yes. And and, <laughs> and that's and that's why you see what's happening uh, at these school board meetings of, uh, I mean, look at California, not, not to slip over in COVID, but if somebody could tell you your kids can't uh, come to school unless they have the shot. I mean, like, where, where does it stop it? Now, of course, we had immunization and those kind of things of that nature, but it's it's... The binary thing is I'm going to jab it in your eye. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to make you, you know what I'm saying, fold and show you who has the real power. And 
these power hungry yeah, ex- okay, people. Exactly. Of All of these moves, every same what Kevy's doing. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's supposed to come across as, no, you can do some stuff. You can work on it. You can help you, co-conspirator. But if you don't... <laughs> If you say no, if you say no, as long as you say yes, I'm I'm nice, Kevy. Yeah. Don't make me mad, Kevy. Exactly, no. exactly. And he got a little spicy there at the end too. I mean, if you notice, his his tone changed. Uh, There's, you know, uh, uh, so th- I'm just going back because my head was kind of filled with it because I, I that I know. Me- that Megan <laughs> Kelly thing. And hold on, it's important this because this was about Sharon Osbourne, which to me it, that's how I got to the Oprah thing because you know it, it's more than just a. Uh, an M5M, you know, uh, f- ratings fracas that they're stirring up. Um, but they had some, so, you know, Sharon Osbourne, she got in a fight because she supported Pierce Morgan, so she was supporting right. racists. And then what's Cheryl, what's the girl's name, the woman's name? Um, uh, I know you're talking, I, mean, I can't talk. think her name. I, I, I think it's Cheryl. Name, uh, Cheryl, Cheryl, I think it's Cheryl. Underwood. Is, is Underwood, Cheryl yes, Underwood. Yeah, yeah Cheryl Underwood. Yeah. Um, so then they had a recording of her and... Um, Sharon Osbourne in her dressing room, and mm-hmm. gosh, I wish I had that. I mean, I only heard it because I was listening to the show. Uh, where she says to Sharon Osbourne, "You have to understand, we're under enormous pressure. If there's anything that even sniffs of racism, if we don't call it out, then then we get accosted on the street." And I thought that was an important thing because it was, it's easy to hate Cheryl for what she did. I humanized her in that moment. I said, okay, mm-hmm. I don't think you're very intelligent that you're just going to let that happen. But wow, when you're talking about your career, because, you know, people could could cancel her easily. And it seems like that's a real thing. And the ones that are really getting canceled are the ones on their own side. Uh, we saw with Rachel Nichols uh, over ESPN, the yep. same thing. They mm-hmm. dug up a tape. And these tapes, these emails, I don't know if you don't keep up with sports, but John Gruden... Uh, I'm sure you, you oh yeah the the Raiders coach yeah they got him up out of there off some emails and the first email nah. came out that he said a guy had big lips and people were crying on TV like oh my god <laughs> he said he had big lips and it's such a racial trope it's like did he say big black lips I mean I don't know you say he had big lips because he's black or did he just say that he had big lips I don't understand I don't I don't get but even either way it's like well first of all they wanted him out for some reason because this doesn't happen just just like oh we stumbled across some old stuff he sent so they wanted him out i don't know what was going on and why but i just go to show you that this is how they're digging up emails and these yeah. emails he wasn't even in the, he wasn't in coaching in the nfl at the time but then they came back the the big lips didn't get him so they found some uh, uh, homophobic and yeah. misogynistic. What, what, what do you think the end go- is there an end goal to this? Do you think that it's um, well, let's you know, let's clear some people out of the way and, and we can move in because it doesn't seem like that's actually what, happening. Well, which is just as a side a sidebar conversation. I think with John Gruder's situation, they used him to get the team to Vegas, and now the NFL no longer needs him. And the race, the Raiders are the bastard child of the NFL. Because <clears throat> you got to understand the ownership, uh, Al Davis, uh, win baby, just, what was it, win baby win or just win? Or, uh, my dad would kill me because that's his favorite team uh, if I got that quote wrong. But I think it's win baby win, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he was the owner and uh, president of the AFL. So that the Raiders have always been the Redheaded stepchild of the NFL when they merged. Ah, okay. Yeah. So uh, this is going to sound stupid. So mm-hmm. the Raiders are now in Vegas. Yes. Okay. But they needed a good coach. 
No, because they they moved from Oakland, and Oakland like it was this stronghold right. of of support for this team, big time. So they, yeah. brought, I think they brought Gruden in to smooth it over, kind of like the Barclays Jay Z thing, right? We need somebody with you know uh, sway with the crowd, right? So they don't, they yeah. don't leave us and a, hand, a handsome there, looking white coach, right? Uh, he, <laughs> he he just fit the Raiders, you know, what I'm saying mo of this tough guy, like tough as nails guy. Yeah, he got him to Vegas. Now they got a good foothold in Vegas. Like now we got to get rid of this guy. And if we do it to the Raiders, you know, we'll wow, they could have like them guys anyway. They could have just asked him to leave. Uh, Seems severe. Why do you want to destroy a guy? Well, you still got NFL. Still has to remind people that they're woke. True I mean, that. They, I mean, they, they, they're True on the, <laughs> they're on the they're on the woke probation. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It's like okay, oh, that's yeah. a, <laughs> WB. WP right. on the we, woke probation, everybody. You know, the woke probation. You get saying yeah. you gotta let let them know that we still we still um, that's right. Are, are still in, excuse uh, me. You have to yeah. come over here and talk to Mo Fax, your parole officer. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. We stopped at the. Let's go. Okay, sixteen. So let me set this right right quick. So this is again. This is Kimberly Crenshaw, and she's talking to Joy Reid this time. Oh, uh, so it's going to be a fantastic party. conversation. Party, party, now party. She can let her hair down like she couldn't do with Meddy. But they're going to discuss uh, critical race theory is explained neither as is, is explained as neither Marxist nor racist by the leading scholar Kimberly Crenshaw, who co-developed the framework of the study and coined this term. Some of you may be wondering, what's the deal with the GOP freakout over critical race theory? It's everywhere and was even used as a GOP call to arms at a conservative Christian conference last week. The old Marxism used economics to gain control. The new Marxism, the new Marxism uses identity politics. And the result is something that looks nothing like America. There's no reason to believe that this new Marxism will result in anything but what the old Marxism resulted in. Critical race theory is racism, pure and simple. And it should be rejected by every American of every race. Let me tell you right now, critical race theory is bigoted, it is a lie, and it is every bit as racist as the Klansmen in white sheets. Okay, but here's the thing. None of this is random. This is the result of a highly manufactured strategy created by seasoned political operatives (laughs) looking for the perfect wedge issue to take back power. Something to combat the energy of the multiracial coalition that took Georgia. And something to replace Blue Lives Matter, since January 6th exposed that slogan as a sham. Conservatives in Congress Mm -hmm. took note and started chattering, which was then ingested into the feeder system of Fox News. The tagline disseminated and the war against critical race theory took off. Um, chatter you know you know what system you know what i really like because i see this all day long it's Mm -hmm. part of my job on fox they're playing msnbc on msnbc they're playing fox on cnn they're playing both they are they're in the drain and they're circling and they're all going no one's watching this crap anymore which is great for us but also sad if they go away (laughs) because we do need the entertainment but this it's this. It's this that that it, you know, when you're blaming your colleagues. You imagine your colleagues over at another station. I mean, that's that's dumb. It's petty, and that's all well, they've got. This critical race theory and these binary terms are the rating drivers. So they have to get involved in it, and it works for the politicians, like I said, because 
it does get, I mean, like when you hear critical race theory, I, I mean, I have to say on the right, it, it's a scary term for them to use. It's like, oh, you don't want that CR, that CRT, you know, that uh, critical race theory uh, invasion. Oh, no, it's, it's totally disingenuous the way they're playing it, too. And now I understand the Ted Cruz thing. So mm-hmm. they so they've got the the critical race cannon pointed at Cruz's nuts. They just want to yeah. blow him up, and that's part of Texas. Texas, they think, is in play. You know, they, they're doing all kinds. The Democrats are doing all kinds of things in Texas. They're really trying to to turn it blue. So um, taking out Ted Cruz would be, I guess, something that they think is important because that's what they're doing. Yes, trying. but the problem is when you start going into the schools, that's going to be a major problem. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, because it's not about politicians. It's parents. It's parents who are standing up. It's way beyond Ted Cruz. Right. And it, and, and is, they're just latching on to the momentum on the ground. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, of course. And you see the same thing with the media. The media is latching on to, oh, if you throw critical race theory in the, uh, in the title, it's going yeah. to be a big, big, big winner with the ratings. You're right. Good point. So I mean, like I said, and it just keeps everybody in a fervor to 2022. Mm-hmm. That's the whole. Oh, point. that's it's, all intended for that, yeah. Right, and then it gives you a sub story to talk about outside of COVID, right? I mean, like it's like people get COVID fatigue, so then we go back to the race. You got to have something, that, nothing else, really to talk about. I mean, to be honest with you, so these are the two topics that they've chosen to uh, be uh, the big deals for 2022. Um, so now we got to go back to your clip. Uh, and now this is leaders know this. You want to set this up, or you know, um, um, people? yes. Well, this is once the spell has been cast. That's when the manipulation starts. And I think mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure if it's this clip, but there's there may be a little extra thing about the so-called leaders. This is the professor Desmet again. So the masters can only exist if they have an enemy, if they have an object of anxiety. That's something that was very well described by uh, Orwell in uh, 1984, where he, where he talked about the Eurasian warrior who was a constant threat, but nobody actually knew uh, whether he really existed or not. And, but but uh, uh, the masses and the totalitarian system always have, uh, uh, have to invent new enemies, new objects of anxiety, because if there would be no object of anxiety, the masses would not have a reason to exist because one of the main reasons is the, the controlling anxiety. So, and the leaders of the masses feel that uh, if there would uh, be no object of anxiety anymore, the masses would wake up and what would they do if they wake up? The first thing they would do is kill their leaders. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I'm going to send this episode to, to the professor. Maybe he'll uh, do some deconstruction on uh, on CRT with his expertise. So with that in mind, you will see the vested interest to keep people in the binary trap. Because totally. people, Because we just not saying we got to a post-racial anywhere near it. It's the fact that a lot of people could walk away from the George Floyd case and like, we got our guy. Yeah. You know saying? He's gone for good. Uh, justice was done. I went and did my march. I walked across the Black Lives Matter mural. <laughs> so <clears throat> now I can go back to everyday life. Race. And they're like, no. <laughs> they're like, no, 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 no. You know what I'm saying? We got to keep them. We got to keep them jacked up. So this is just another thing. And it's just that. Like the leaders know it's like we got to keep them in a, you know, what I'm saying this tailspin of state of state of fear. Right, because it is the Democrats needed 
And it's red meat for the Republicans, no pun intended, because the more they say it, the more they put out race. It's well, it actually, it actually the Black Lives Matter and her confession. Her confession is so critical. And it's when I say her, I'm talking about Patrice, yeah. uh, Patrice Colors. Her confession that they are Marxists just tanks everything from now on. <coughs> Excuse me, what you're right about, I think, is that the CRT is, is great for both parties. They both like using this as their tentpole issue and 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 pontificating about it. Mm-hmm. It's really unproductive for for anybody. Of course, <laughs> but it's it's no progress leaves us in the dead and a deadlock, and uh, it just keeps the like I said the leaders alive. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm Nate, easy easy whoever's listening. I'm, it just from his analysis. The constant keeping them in formation keeps them uh, alive. If you want to say uh, metaphorically, their political careers, or even you're saying to literal, their literal say. lives. Yeah, absolutely. Ab- well, okay. <laughs> well, that's interesting because we're going to have to see CRT, critical race theory, for what it's being used for, and not what it really is. Yeah, it's a, a what do you call it? A, a object of anxiety. That, yes, that's that's what it is. Um, so I guess we can go in and let uh, Joy and Miss um, Crenshaw <laughs> I was hoping we, on part two. Hoping we go back to that. Here we go. Yep. No one wants a boogeyman near their kids, and certainly not in their classrooms. The operatives know this. Those fears got played up, and now along with the fear of trans kids taking over junior high handball, parents are fighting with school boards in, in cities and towns across the country over curricula that they believe teaches white kids that they are racist. None of this is actually happening. But who cares about a little old thing like the truth when you have the perfect campaign buzzword for 2022? It even has the magic word in it, race. And joining me now is Kimberly Crenshaw, race. co-founder and executive director of the African-American Policy Forum and the legal scholar who coined the term critical race theory. Uh, so it is your fault, madam. Uh, I, you know, I, I tripped over the curb this morning and I went, critical race theory? Damn you! You tripped me on Damn the car. It did it. It does everything bad. I mean, and the cicadas. Y'all really need to stop with the cicadas. Critical race theory. That was not nice. We um, can throw everything in the bag. Everything, everything in the bag. So, I just wrote down a few of the notes of what people are calling um, critical race theory: Marxism, racism, bigoted. Uh, let's let's start with the Marxism. That's their favorite one. They're using that every single time. Uh, and I, I hate to ask you, I hate to ask dumb questions, so please don't think that I'm dumb. <laughs> Is critical race well, theory Marxism? <laughs> don't worry, Joy. We'll do that for her. <laughs> so that's the, that's the thing. If you say critical race theory, they'll point to her book and the, and the official academic uh, term of critical race theory, but that's not what it is. And Joy did tell truth there. She says that it didn't, it doesn't teach white kids that they're racist. No, it teaches their teachers that they're racist. And then the kids, the teachers teach the kids. So there is, like I said, they word these things very carefully. And, but the product they want is cabbies in every classroom. It's constantly reminding people to, you know, be (laughs) co-conspirators. Kevies in Kevy in every classroom. Right. (laughs) It's sad to say, but that's, that's the goal of this whole thing. And, they, they they can never shake that Marxist term because of what Patrice said. It's just anything that's tied to race now, that is tied back to Black Lives it's Matter. It's going to be gonna, Marxist. 
It's going to be Marxist. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the first. This is not a first in the fact that we talked about the Communist Party and in racial dealings all the way back to the 1930s or, or even earlier. I mean, yeah, definitely even earlier than that. But um, in America. But now this is the first time we had it like actually put out on the front um, where it's, you know, it's very clear to see what's going on here. Um, so. Yeah, it's clear to we, us. Well, no, we, we, you, you can always go back and play the clip of her, of her saying she's a Marxist. And that that's not just from the Republican side. I mean, I don't know where they, they I don't want this misconception in that black people are for Marxism. Not that I speak for all black people, but th- that just never took. I mean, because you had a lot of other groups that had Marxist views that it never they never could get a stronghold because that just doesn't support you know the the average economic view of of the average black american because there's such things yeah. that you know we we want to be credited for our work you know what i mean we, we're just like every other american in that aspect of it you know we want to get paid more uh, we don't want people to tell us what to do with our kids um we want to have property ownership these things are big to us so for these they'll never get a stronghold and like i said they they she uh, burned herself when she said that. But you hear the language that George using operative, mm-hmm. uh, these mm-hmm. these loaded terms, uh, and I think that's projection. Because- you think? <laughs> you think calling it a strategy by by the Republicans, whereas the strategy is this whole setup, right? Yeah. And, that, and that's the whole thing. And, and like I said, it might work for them because as long as they get their Republicans talking about race, period. They can always label them the racist in in the mind, the masses. So maybe from that aspect of it, it's like oh, it's a. It's so a, it's, so it's what a would what would you, um, uh, political consultant, Mister Mo? Mm-hmm. What would you advise Ted Cruz to do, or Marco Rubio, or any of these dudes? Would not respond from from, from, from a political standpoint. Yeah, uh, so it's right, all gas, no brakes, and the Marxism. Yeah, I mean that's a winner. I mean that's that's, that's a winner. <laughs> all gas, no <laughs> brakes. <laughs> all gas, no brakes. Because uh, it works, and that's what gets under. I mean, you hear her addressing it. Anytime you hear them trying to bring it in, like oh, this the critical race theory that you discussed at Harvard. I mean, that's that kind of thing. Right. Was that based in Marxism? Uh, no, but you heard what Kevy said, and I, I trust Kevy more than Karen Shaw. <laughs> so in, in this aspect of it, because I think she's. She's a bit out of touch on where they're taking this um, as well. Uh, but with that said, I think we stopped at two. Let's go ahead and get into three. Is critical race well, theory Marxism? Look, you know what? Here's here's the thing, Joy. Um, oh, critical stop, race stop, theory. Stop. Answer the question. Stop. Answer the question. Look, you know what? Here's the thing. She hit, <laughs> yeah. she hit the trifecta that's, on the... That performative. <laughs> that's performative right there. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, Joy, uh, bro, that, instead of that's a great question, nope. Well, let's find out the answer. If she's going to give an answer. Is critical race theory well, Marxism? 
Look, you know what? Here's here's the thing, Joy. Um, critical race theory is not so much a thing. It's a way of looking at a thing. It's a oh. way of looking at race. It's a way of looking at why after so many decades, centuries, actually, since the emancipation, we have patterns of inequality that are enduring. They are stubborn. And the point of critical race theory originally was to think and talk about how law contributed to the subordinate status of African-Americans, of indigenous people, and of an entire uh, group of people who were, were coming to our shores uh, from, from Asia. Um, and the point was, quite <laughs> frankly, to understand the problem in order to intervene in it, to understand why the greatest uh, uh, hopes for our republic were not being realized, even though these hopes were encoded in law. So critical race theory just inherits the uh, beliefs and the hopes of Frederick Douglass, of, of Martin Luther King, oh. who basically want the law to do for the freed people what the law did for enslavers. And we picked that up in the 70s and 80s after the civil rights movement to say, okay, so now we've had this big civil rights movement. We have all these laws in the books, um, but things really aren't looking as different as they should if we are really the society that we say we are. What I would have to say is if you're dealing with this from the 70s and 80s, you're a lawyer, right? And you've been dealing with how law has been uh, used as a tool or either, I mean, at worst, I mean, at best, ineffective for saying so-called black people. I would find you ineffective because you've been doing this for 40, 40 or 50 years, years and nothing's happened. What do they want? What does she want? Does, I mean, what what do you want? She wants to stay where she's at in her nice comfortable spot where ah, she can just okay. pontificate about uh this the- these theories of race and not actually go into trial law or these things that actually like hey, I got an idea. How about you take on these uh algorithms <laughs> that's cooking right. up these, this this bell that actually is impacting? That's a real tangible problem that's based off of race. We've covered this here, how these algorithms calculate bail. Yes. Yeah. Like that's real legal problems, not what, trying to get But does, uh, but have you ever heard maybe it's in some of the other clips, but does she ever mention exactly what legal issues? Are racist? They go back to reconstruction, re, uh, reconstruction, and civil rights, and it's all about voting. I mean, let's just be honest here: it's everything's about voting. Yeah, it's about the voting laws, and you saw with Georgia and Texas and all these other places. It's all about the access to voting and making it easier for people to vote. Which I don't understand how that's very easy if the polls are overwhelmed. Make more polls. I mean, that's a very simple act, but it's like, well, we don't need to show ID either. And it's like, we've proven that that's a crazy idea to think that's racist to say somebody should have to show ID to think that black people don't have IDs. It's like, I mean, but this is, they're, they're brought up there to fear airtime, you know, to keep people engaged into the racial conversation until 2022, because there's a lot at stake in that race. Um, and they they've lost a lot of leverage. Um, hell, if you want to talk about that, I mean, it's it's it's, it's a whole thing called a mandate that a lot of people of uh, yes. dark people are not feeling. So, if, how about those? How about those civil rights? How about we jump on that? But it's like, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. That's not true. That's not true. It's only Republicans who are anti-vaxxers. It's not true what you say. 
Last time I checked, New York, you're saying the numbers are awfully low on the um on the who who's enthused about taking the the, the shot or with not. the dark but, folks with an X, right? So mm-hmm. um yeah, so that's that's the whole thing with um. Well, we got some more clips with them. Let's yes. go ahead and just let them wrap up with the last two clips. So we put about the the task of understanding how law wasn't just the neutral referee. Um, law wasn't always on our side. In fact, law was less on our side than four on our side. And we wanted to tell these stories in order to do better with the promises that are embedded in the Constitution. That's what's in critical race theory. So is critical race theory, Does is there a K through 12 curriculum that right now is being taught. I'm sorry. I know it's a dumb question, but uh, is there a K through 12 curriculum on critical race theory that's being taught in schools around this country? Well, look, Joy, if it was news to most Americans that critical race theory was in K through 12, it was news to me, too. I'm one of the co-authors of one of the few books on critical race theory. I think I would know if we were being taught in K through 12. I mean, basically, critical race theory, classic critical race theory is a law school course. And it's really, you know, not taught as widely as I would hope it would. But here's the deal. This is not about whether anything called called critical race theory is NK through 12. What they're calling critical race theory doesn't exist anyway. Oh, okay. There it is. Oh, that's even better. So critical race theory is not there, but whatever you're calling it, that's not real. Go away. (laughs) Because the the actual question that Joy... Was something completely different, yeah. The question you should ask was, so what is being confused for critical race theory in K through 12? That would be the actual well, nothing. question that a good no, journalist no, would ask. Yeah, but it's not. There's nothing because she said it. There's nothing. There's, she was. She hit it out there. No, no, there's nothing. There's nothing so, there. So what is that that was just linked into that document on page nine with uh, the 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 abolitionist teaching network? What 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 is that? I mean these these um these classes that we're seeing these teachers are being forced to go attend what is that I yeah well that, but i think you said it earlier a critical race theory is what got the teachers into this mode and now mm-hmm. they're just off the hook right it's like I, i've been uh it's, it, they're, they uh, got the, they got the programming they got the programming <laughs> they're, they're evangelists, mm-hmm. so they, it's like i got to teach it to my pupils uh, do you think they have a badge like do they have a little badge like <laughs> get a, a decoder ring when you're part of the club and you're a, a little abolitionist network yeah, uh, yeah yeah id card or something i'm sure they do you probably in in, in the network it's who, like, did, go google me i'm in the network did you look into that thing how uh who's funding that well that i did not look into it i mean like i said it's just it's i did not look i did not have a chance to look into the actual network i, I stopped with kevy because it's like I found the product. That was harsh pushing. enough. Like, that's all I need to see. That's all I need to see is that that's your that's your fruit uh, that tree is producing. I'm I'm good to go. With, uh, I hear you. I hear all you. I need to know. But of course, I'll do I'll do more research into it as time permits. But I want to stick on talking to the uh, the expert, the uh, co-author, the you no know, co-creator of uh, <laughs> of critical race theory and her denial that it even exists. So uh, let's wrap up with them with number five. It is a backlash effort to reverse the racial reckoning, unlike any we've seen in our lifetime. And as you pointed out at the beginning, they can't say, you know. Well, I want to hear her say that again. Mm-hmm. 
It is a backlash effort to reverse the racial reckoning, unlike any we've seen in our lifetime. And as you pointed out at the beginning, they can't say, you know, we're for racism. They can't say Derek Chauvin should have killed George Floyd with his hand in his pocket, looking like he was completely uh, without a care in the world. They couldn't say that. So they they looked around and found a, a strange sounding theory that they could put all of the grievances and uh, resentments in and mobilize people around this boogeyman. And if, yep. and, and if, if our side can't really understand what's going on, it's our going side. to work. It's worked in the past. It, yeah. it worked to end Reconstruction and it can work to end this reckoning too. Yeah. All right. That was purely political. Yeah. <laughs> that's not, that's Unbelievable. the whole. Unbelievable. That's the, that's the whole that's point. It's all, all politics. Yeah. It's all about voting in 2022. Uh, and I'll say this: as you heard her say, she said the the uh, racial reckoning. She said that she's so tapped in that all she would know about things. Well, little does she know that it's not uh, in, in uh, uh, co- politically correct to say racial reckoning. I liked, the Washington I, liked, Post. I liked it actually. <laughs> well, of course, it, it, was, it, it rolls off the tongue very easily, but mm-hmm. the Washington Post opinion piece says do not call it a racial reckoning. The race towards uh, equi- equality has barely begun. That's the headline. Really? Uh, and of course, yes. <laughs> and then also, the CNN has one as well is there was no racial reckoning. So she's out of the loop that uh, one. No racial reckoning has exists. I mean, it ha- doesn't exist, or you know, hasn't uh, hasn't materialized yet. Yeah, it hasn't materialized yet. But like I said, that she's antiquated. Not to be ageist or anything, but she actually thinks that George Floyd was progress, but not to the <laughs> radicals. <laughs> that's nothing. That's like no. It's like no, no, no. We got to keep pushing. Well, I'm sad to say this woman is just to be dismissed from here on out because she's she's no good. Just just. just well, she couldn't even define her own terms of like inter- uh, inter- uh, intersectionality. No. When you ask her what it is, like, uh, <clears throat> well, you know, it's a thing. Uh, it's that thing. You know the thing. You uh. know the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first block. Uh, I think some now some time to thank the people that uh, make this podcast happen, our producers. Yes. And uh, as always, we like to remind ourselves what we're doing here. First, the white man and the black man have to be able to sit down at the same table. The white man has to feel free to speak his mind without hurting the feelings of that Negro. And the so-called Negro has to feel free to speak his mind without hurting the feelings of the white man. Then they can bring the issues that are under the rug out on top of the table and take an intelligent approach to get the problem solved. That's the only way that they'll ever do it. Yeah, that's right. Y'all can go looking for some critical race theory or just listen to Mo Facts with Adam Curry. This is where we solve it all. The whole world. We're working on it. Very hard. We are a... Um, non-commercial podcast uh and when i say non-commercial it means that we don't have commercials we don't take corporate money we have no sneaky ways uh in fact we rely entirely on the producers of the podcast and that means that we expect you to feedback any value if you got value by listening to the show or any of the episodes um return the favor you can do that with your time, your talent, your treasure. A lot of people like to combine them where they'll donate, become an executive producer, and add some information that we that we didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a very, very, very beautiful uh, way to build this together. 68 episodes. We're just barely getting started. I think we've only just scratched the surface. It's a baby. 
And let us thank our, uh, wow, right off the bat, we got our first executive uh, producer and also... Paula, shot caller, 20-inch blades on the Impala. Jimmy James comes in with $500. Nice. By the way, Mo, I apologize. I've been stealing your big baller uh, jingle for uh, podcasting 2.0. <laughs> I could, hey man, I, you be a big baller or a big baller, hey? So okay, it's, well, it's, well, and you know, no agenda. People already stole the biscuit. You know what? And we we borrowed. We borrowed. Uh, we borrowed <laughs> we the do. jingle. We, we do. borrowed the karma. We do. So, yeah, this so is true. It's, 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 it's all good. It's, it's, it's all good. I just wanted you to know that I that I just wanted to fess up that it was happening. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> anyway, back to our big baller. Uh, top executive producer for today and so very kind $500 from Jimmy James thank you for all you do Mo Mo Karma for you and Adam I hope you continue to be blessed and that you never get tired of taking us all with you on these rabbit hole journeys you have awoken many and I believe it is just the beginning of all the good you will do oh yeah well Jimmy James I uh, agree with you there Uh, I certainly uh, will enjoy watching the MoFax Entertainment Enterprises grow you've got Mo Karma Cause that's happening. John Taylor's next uh, with 135, and the note here is mixed. Missed show 67, so it's a two and one. So that means he took the uh, show number donation of 68, added it to 67. Yes, and, uh, and came up with on 135. Roll. That's he's beautiful. been on a roll uh, on the show. Uh, on the show uh, donation, so he he made good on the the missing sixty seven. So, so we'll pop you right nice in there, man. Yeah, he's a nice streak going. Thank you very much, John. Appreciate that. Terrell Arts DC, one hundred and two dollars and sixty seven cents. A research nerd listening and working in my studio feel absolutely inspired by every episode. <laughs> Thanks, Terrell. And, and if you want inspiration, I would tell everybody to go over to Instagram. <clears throat> and check out the Terrell Arts DC. That's the name of the Instagram page. They have wonderful art pieces. Wonderful. Oh, really? What do pieces. they do? So, what kind of art pieces? Uh, man, it's like a multimedia type of art. I don't even want to butcher it. You're know, saying by the, the actual uh, terminology that they use, but it is fascinating work. Um, so I would definitely have. Um, I want people to go over there and check out their uh, gallery that they have, and hopefully. Um, Holy you crap! Know, I'm, I'm looking at their I'm, I'm looking at their website. Right? Yeah, wow, it's beautiful work. Yeah, so please, everybody, go and show them some love and maybe some value as well. I, I, I hear it's I hear it's dark art. <laughs> <laughs> go take a look at that dark art over there. <laughs> try to say it, man, Kevy. Please, please, don't, don't do it. <laughs> thank um, you very much. Yeah, yeah thank you, Terrell. Very, very beautiful work. Um, <laughs> it's fantastic. We'll put a link in the show notes too, in you know, in the credits. Please, please do that. Uh, Lennart Bergsma, <laughs> excuse me, and I'm going to think that that's uh, a Dutch li- listener, but I, it could be Leonard Bergsma. I'm just biased that way. 99.99, just finished listening to the Q-Hopium episode. You guys blew my mind once again. I've been hitting my friends in the MoFax mouth left and right, and I was just telling one of my best friends that with all the ish going on in the world all the smoke and mirrors all the spin and all the shenanigans the only thing you can do to protect your well-being is to never go full retard uh, that's a tropic thunder reference 
Mm-hmm. Never go all in, of course, but rather be conspiracy analysts, not conspiracy theorists. I can dig it. Please accept my three times three three thirty three thirty three donation in exchange for some Mofax Karma. Salute. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Leonard. Much appreciated. You've got Mocom. And I didn't want to mess with his. Uh, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Careful. Don't step, car- man, don't step, on, the step on the karma. Don't step on the karma. But. Since he's ninety nine ninety nine, I didn't want to mess up his numerology, but you no, know, maybe we need to bump him up just because. Uh, Executive uh, producer, absolutely, yes, of course. In fact, uh, normally I have a, a penny somewhere. Yeah, I, yeah, I take one, give one, right? I thought uh, you had something. I don't know with the, with the jar. Yeah, the jar is. Uh, um, sorry, <laughs> we'll make good on it. <laughs> I'll find it. I had. A, I thought I had a penny around here somewhere. I'll, I'll look for it. Uh, Simply Story Media. 7777, a sack of sevens. Also, mm-hmm. starts off listening to Q Hopium on my drive. And what would I see but a billboard from the FBI that reads, Report hate crimes. So that's annoying. My jaw dropped. I shouted profanity and immediately began the donation to your show. <laughs> the FBI triggered him. Cool. Really appreciate <laughs> the conversation you two have after listening to No Agenda for some time. I got hooked immediately when I turned on Trapper's Delight. That was one of the favorites we are also people was one of some of the most valuable content i have heard in months maybe years wow keep up the good work uh no jingles no karma value for value <laughs> uh whole, so, okay no jingles no karma. but thank you very much uh simple story media wish i knew simple what, what kind of media i wonder the yeah kind of media well, well it's simple story media obviously we continue with our associate executive producer, Kevin Rizinger, $75. Uh, much love to you two. Your podcast speaks truth. Please make the Donda episode soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Kanye speaking on. Oh, he sends a link to a video of Kanye speaking on removing the father from the home on SNL, mm-hmm. mentioning Cosby mm-hmm. and speaking his truth against following what you're supposed to do. Uh, I have a feeling that that Donda episode is on the way, but as is, as always with, with the Mo Facts and Adam Curry, you know. You never know what the wheel's going to give you. You never know what the wheel's going to give you, but also we like to let it all settle. Mm-hmm. Let everything germinate so we can really do the best deconstruction. It's worth it. Michael Kemmerer comes in at $68 show donation. Thank you for that. Apologies, he says. I've been delinquent in my donations. Love the show. Uh, Michael from Snomish, Washington. Please let me know if this way of sending money got around the PayPal fee. It did. What did he do? I don't know. I mean, if you would like to share the uh, your method, uh, Michael, please so let us how know. Did it, how did it come into the bank? Or it, No, it came straight. It came into PayPal, but it was no fee. No fee? From it. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's important because PayPal is up to like 3 or 4% these days. Man, they're taxing. <laughs> yes, they are. Chris Bailey, also uh, uh, episode number donation, $68. No uh, note, but we do have a note from Else Speck, also 68. Dear Mo and Adam, thank you for the show. And thank the universe for bringing you two together. Adam has been in my life since childhood as I listened to Rinkle de Kinkle Korean Faninkle every Friday night. After that, there was Countdown on Dutch TV. I still remember the images of Adam leaving with Winter in America is Cold playing. For me, that was the end of Adam. The end of Adam. Until years ago. Cold winter. Until the dark winter. The dark winter. The dark winter. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Until years and years later, I start listening to the No Agenda show. Great inspiration. Even better, 
introducing me to you, Mo. Love the show. Better than any history book and more entertaining. Since this show is 68, I had to donate, make the numbers meaningful to you, as Adam always says, as it's the year of my birth. So proud to be a 68 club member. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Love you both. If you have some Mo Karma available, please. Love is lit. Else. P.S. Love your choice of music, Mo. Makes me happy discovering new, old music. What a nice note. Beautiful Else. He said it's his birth year, so. Yep. You've got Mo Karma. That would be her. Else's her. Her, excuse me. No, you couldn't know. Um, thanks, Else. Then we have uh, our final uh, associate executive producer for today's uh, program. And, of course, we'll have a couple more people to thank in our second donation segment. Malcolm Riley, $50. And he says, I'll be donating $50 for the latest episode in memory of every year my daughter's mother lived. 35, combined with the age of our daughter, 15. I thoroughly enjoy having my mind blown every week. I was worried when I had to wait on what seemed like forever during your hiatus. I'll be introducing the show to my 15-year-old daughter to give her proper clarity and knowledge on how the world and media works. I hope it also helps her keep it also helps keep her mind occupied and bring some solace to her impressionable mind. I promise to do my best to continue to love, teach, and guide our baby girl through life. Rest in peace, Tierra Burgess Robinson. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, uh, I'm glad I'm glad that we can we can assist. That's, that's quite moving, actually. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Malcolm. Uh, We appreciate that. And, uh, and yes, I'm sure that you will be raising just a fine young woman there. No doubt about it. Uh, that's it for our executive producers, associate executive producers for, uh, show number 68 of Mo Facts with Adam Curry. And, uh, if you'd like to support the show, I think you should. If you get any value out of it, do it one way or the other. If you're going to do it with, uh, monetary support, just make the number meaningful to you. We love numerology here. And you can go to mofax.com uh, or directly to our donation page, which is mofundme.com at m-o-e-f-u-n-d.me.com, uh, mofundme.com. And uh, thank you very much for producing episode number 68. So we left off on the racial reckoning. So what I want to do is go and find out the actual meaning of uh, ah, reckoning. Racial reckoning. Okay. Or reckoning. Yeah. Yes. Reckoning. Yes. So can I, I, can I make a I'll, guess without knowing? Just sure. Is it derivative from German? For the yeah. bill? For the re- Rechnung? I'm not sure. You, have to, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you said from the bill, from the bill. Yeah, like uh, if, if you get a bill, uh, you call for the reckoning, the reckoning. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So okay, yeah, sim- sim- settling up, you're settling cl- you're close. up. You cl- you're close. Okay. Yep. That's that's almost almost it. But there's other meanings as well. It's a very uh, tricky, peculiar one. word that can be used in so many formal and informal ways. So I have I I swear English. That's a YouTube channel, uh-huh. and he's an English teacher, and he has a wonderful English accent. So let's go and get into twenty three. Okay, we have a couple of phrasal verbs with this as well. <laughs> to reckon, to settle an account, but it's more common to reckon up. To work out the final amount. Like to tally up. Um, to balance the debits and credits. So look, you pay for everything today and we'll reckon up at the end of the day. Yeah, we'll equalize it again to settle account. 
Okay, so to reckon, I reckon, I think, it's my opinion, or to calculate, to reckon up, to settle debts, to settle an account, to tally up, if you like, to reckon on. You're going to have to reckon on this happening. Expect. To reckon with, to deal with. Yeah? And then somebody to be reckoned with or something to be reckoned with a powerful force that's going to be difficult to reckon with hmm. okay the origin of this word comes from proto-germanic there's a word reckonoa which means to count and to explain but this word reckon in nearly all of the senses I've given you it's informal it's great for an informal conversation in the pub but in something semi-formal or something formal writings particularly I think my opinion is I calculate I figure to settle up an account um, to expect to deal with to anticipate okay so to reckon okay a lot more meaning to it than i initially <laughs> thought because you you were in the informal way but he also gave the formal meanings mean something to reckon with a force or to settle up like as you said in the informal way so either way she said that which her being a lawyer uh aka a word wizard Mm-hmm. How does she mean that racial reckoning? Is it like a racial force to be, you know, to be reckoned with? Or is it... Right, um, right. Any of those other meanings besides the uh, even Steven right, are kind well, of frightening. Even, yeah, I'm about get back, back. I mean, you could another way you could say that the get back. Right, yes. Back. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So uh, how are you using this word? Settle the score. Me. Yes. So what what does that mean? When you hear that, it's like okay, it's aggressive. Yeah. So in, in the minds of people that may be self conscious about race, it's like, well, we uh, narrative. I'm going narrative here. Mm-hmm. We oppressed them for four hundred years, and they want reckoning. What does that mean? You know, what I'm saying like they, that makes people nervous. So, yeah. Because wait a minute, does it, does it mean four hundred years for us? Yes. That's 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 where they or, can go or 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 four hundred years. Ah, they can handle another hundred. What's the problem? Right. So I mean, that could that could be that could. It's fascinating doubtful. That, she used that, that one's word. doubtful. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's, 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 it's aggressive and scary that way. Yes. Yeah. So what what is that racial reckoning? That just sounds. That's not like a black exploitation film. You know what I'm saying? Where like the the, the Panthers is coming back to. You know what I'm saying to get whitey or whatever. Like so, yeah. why why use that term? But and then like I said, the article said don't use that term. So I just found mm. that she was out of the loop with that again. Yeah. So now we have to go to the other side of the binary coin and go over to the Fox News side. And this is Tucker Carlson. This is the blurb from the video. Tucker Carlson tonight hosts blast. Blast critical race theory and highlights parents' pushback. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Loudoun County, Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C., was for a very long time, for generations, a reasonable place. It was orderly and calm. It was well-maintained. Loudoun County famously worked, certainly in contrast to the city nearby. 
And then two things happened to Loudoun County. First, lots of federal money flowed in. All those government contracts in Washington made Loudoun County rich. In fact, Loudoun County is now the single richest county in the entire United States. And that's been a problem because any place you find easy money, you will also inevitably find large numbers of unhappy white liberals, those brittle neurotics with the masks on, screaming at everyone else to get in line. Loudoun County has a whole bunch of those people now. Mm -hmm. It also has a huge number of immigrants. One out of every four people in Loudoun County was born in another country. Now, in general, most immigrants are not very liberal at all, actually. In fact, many of them have what would now be described as extreme right-wing positions on social issues. If you ever have a chance, ask a Salvadoran what he thinks of transgenderism. It'll make you laugh, probably nervously. You'll look around to see if anyone heard it. But as a practical matter, it doesn't matter at all what immigrants, what Salvadorans or Pakistanis think of social issues or how they organize their own families. Immigrants vote overwhelmingly for the Democratic Party, and those votes give more power, not to them, but to those unhappy white liberals who want to blow everything up. <laughs> so this made me realize, first of all, there's a lot of lo- loaded language as in, oh, yeah. um, in the um, Joy Reid clips of neurotics and you know, it's a lot, a lot oh, of no, no, the hyperbole talk, is, is just as heavy on that side. Absolutely. It's, it's, and that's what I want to show. It just it, it detracts and pulls away from both into these two camps. But what also he said, it made me realize is this is not for the target. The audience is not, quote unquote, black, black American people. This is training the kids of the new immigrants. Yes. Because as he said, they they come from very. I mean, if you talk about just take the groups that's just coming into the country now in mass, Central America and um and and Mexico, mm-hmm. they have very strong patriarchal system, right? Yep. Um, you look at uh, the Haitians, same, same similar thing. You look at the Afghanis, similar thing. So these are a lot of people that's coming into the country, especially Loudoun County or counties like Loudoun County, uh, which is right up the road from me. So I'm ground zero on this kind of thing. You got to get in those kids' heads early. You have to, and I think that's the reason why you hear the term dark people. Because you can't use POC anymore. Right. You can't use black anymore. Can't use Uh, black and brown. brown. Right. Wow. So you really think they're going to go with this, with the dark stuff? Well, they're rolling out different terms. Like I said, the POC is dead. They tried that. Some kind of crazy acronym, but it, those don't work. Uh, like I said, black has its own connotation to it. Brown is more Hispanic, uh, so your um, Middle Eastern or Indian kids don't fall under that. So it's you know white, and then what's opposite of white? So it's like we can't do black. So let's go with dark. So this, so this this is probably not news to you, but mm-hmm. this clearly shows that the Democratic Party has given up on Black America. They've given up. They don't care. What, well, no, no. What they are, they're now. This is, this is another term I came up with. They're cicadocrats. <laughs> okay, they go dormant for a long period of time. Cicadocrats until they come. It's time for us to vote, and they dig their way out of the dirt, and they come over to us like it's time to vote now, black folks. But in the meantime, they had to actually engage with these other groups and set up because. If you let kids come here and uh, see that their parents' way got them conservative ways, got them to the point they're at without yeah. any pushback, yeah, you lose. 
you'll lose them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so now it's like they had to go full cut press on um, one, giving them superiority over the white kids. Um, that's I think that's the whole point of this critical race theory in in the in the academic way, uh, because they have to train these newly integrated people yeah. into becoming liberal into submission. <laughs> train them into voting for us. Yes. Well, m- well, make them counter their parents. I mean, it's just right. like any 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 teenager, right? You make them. Of course, to their it's probably parents, easy. Like, yeah, oh. it's easy. Yeah, so you make them counter their parents and. With any teenager, it's uh, you become you liberal when you're younger, and then you go more conservative. So now they have to get those kids uh, on ramp as early as possible, and that's why I think you're seeing the CRT or whatever you want to call it being pushed uh, on these groups at a very early age. What would you want to call it? The stuff that we're seeing. Uh, <laughs> well, I would call this what it call it what it is. It's mind control. It's uh, it's mind control and manipulation. To be, I, let me just be clear where I'm at with this whole thing. I'm past the point of he, history being taught in schools. Now I know that might be a hot take, but what I'm saying is the whole point of history is you're not going to make everybody happy with history. So what I would rather see taught is law. Kids know their rights. Kids know what voting means. Civics, how the political system works. Yeah, that way they can actually. <laughs> You know, it's not a bunch of narrative because whoever has the political reins will define the narrative, right? Yeah. Um, you'll go from, um, but this is why these textbooks change every four years. Like, who's in power? Let's go super, you know, well, slavery wasn't that bad. We're going to write it off as kind of a form of just indentured servitude, which that's not true. And then on the other hand, you know, um, uh, we're just as bad off as you heard her saying, like, now we're... In a similar case that we were 400 years ago, it's like no, that's not it either. So my just my personal opinion um, is I think history should be learned at your churches, your synagogues, your uh, family community centers, family family history. Uh, that way you get the proper perspective. But if you want to help kids actually be good citizens and uh, productive citizens, teach them law. Teach them, teach them why, and then you can get history in there. So if you teach them, this for a case in point, like you well, teach law, them law is almost by definition history. It's all case law, so you're always going back in history to see how things were done in the past with law. Correct. That's that's what I was going to make with the like the Brown versus Board of Education. Okay, you got these rights. How'd you get them? You know what I'm saying and then you go through the case, and then kids will understand like, oh, okay, that's how the judicial system works. Yeah. Well, but the problem here is, is is much deeper. It's not about what parents want their kids to be taught. It, it's impossible in this in this situation. You have to blow up the whole system. You, I, I mean, every day I'm receiving at least one email from parents who are homeschooling or have well, looked towards you know uh, alternative solutions. That they're for full that, disclosure. I'm homeschooling now. Right on. And and not in case in point, uh, we have a family law book. So I'm not just something I'm like just speaking. Um, oh, can I be a guest lecturer at the MoFax School? <laughs> sure, sure. Howdy, kids! It's your Uncle Adam from Texas. <laughs> it's a, po- it's a podcast uh, elective. <laughs> I'll go teach him a little bit of uh, Linux or something. You know, I'll give him a little, uh, give him a little some extra in life. I'll, I'll teach him, teach him how to code. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And this is how we're going to have to do it is community schooling. And and that's the way to go. I think that's, I completely think that's the way to get the, get the federal government out of everyone's school. Well, well, they'll never let that happen on in mass because that's their, that's their, their control mechanism. Of course. Well, that's their, that's their uh, base, their, their funding. Yeah. Uh, the teachers, like you always speak about, the teacher lobby, I mean, te- well, I say lobby, but that's a, <laughs> for a, a appropriate slip. But the teacher yeah. Uh, union yeah. is one of the most powerful unions that it is. It's got a lot of juice. Yeah. So you're not just going to let kids, just getting the kids to be able to homeschool, they had to, you had to prove your education level. It's like, hold on, what? Like, I, but this goes back to your kids aren't yours. And we need to really understand this. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a scary one. That's a scary one. Because what the, what they're trying to play into is what we're talking about. Sure, um, uh, your homeschooling, your your community is important to their education as well. The right. c- community around them. But, you know, the way they make it sounds like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, we, we really got to take care of this for you, <laughs> which is taking it just a step too far. Yeah, and and we have to understand that our kids aren't ours. I mean, I don't want to go go into that, but when you sign that birth certificate, yeah. <laughs> you sign a lot of power over. It's like, okay, they're our kids, but you have custody of them. That's a scare. I mean, like that's a. Re- I mean, it didn't really. Da- I mean, of course, I already knew this, but. It really just was really redawned on me, if that's a word. What with the birth certificate? Expand. No, when you sign your right, when you sign that birth certificate, basically your children are wards of the state that they give you custody of. Yeah, not everyone knows this. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why they can come and take custody at any time. Uh, truancy officers, uh, social services, all of these things. And like I said, these are things that we could really address if. These lawyers um, want to address race and issues. I mean, there's issues that you can address, but even, I mean, I was getting called from truant officers because they were slow to update the system. Like, okay, so when you're going to bring your kids to school, we hate to have somebody come out there. It's like, what? It's like, <laughs> hold on. So you can't even not see your kids at school. Wow. Yeah, we got to, re- like I said, we, this is the point I'm saying about learning your rights and learning. Uh, what you what you sign away when you sign certain documents? Not we all have to have a. I mean, I'm not uh, one of those people where you know the sovereign people kind of thing. Because to operate in this system, you had to have a social security number. You had to have a birth certificate. I mean, like um, to even get jobs, right? You had to prove that you were for our citizens. You had to prove that you were born here. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's 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 wild. Like how how little rights we do have, or um, how close we are to them actually there's a huge, owning our kids. There's a huge theory about um, the law of the sea and the corporate maritime law. law maritime yeah. law, mm-hmm. yes. Uh-huh. And, the, and, the, and the corporate law. And uh, now, I, whenever I bring this up on No Agenda, Dvorak scoffs at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it even, you know, it even goes as deep as, well, when you, everything is an all uppercase, then that's, uh, that's the legal, like the, yeah, that's, yeah, the o- that's the ownership. That's where they own you. <laughs> are you, a, are you a more Adam? Am I? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Cause that's something that the more, not the Moors, but no, one of these, 
the sovereign rights people, the Moors. Well, you're talking basically like Wes- Snipes, Wesley yeah. Snipes. You know, the same thing. He's like, yeah. oh, so- sovereign citizen. You know, I don't. Uh-huh. Uh, taxation is theft. Yeah, try. Well, he learned the hard way on that one. (laughs) That didn't work out very well. Like I said, in theory, and that's what theory meets reality. In theory, yeah, all that sounds good, but I'm not trying to figure it out from the inside of a jail cell. You see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to argue my case. So you got to be pragmatic. Yeah, you got to be pragmatic when you're homeschooling four kids. (laughs) I mean, you can't be sitting in jail. It's just not going to work. It it kind of makes it hard to homeschool them. Uh, Jail doesn't have good Wi-Fi. (laughs) So, (laughs) so uh, let's get to uh, number two. And that's why, mystery solved, a lot of places with high levels of recent immigrants tend to be far more liberal than those immigrants themselves. It's interesting, and that's definitely true in Loudoun County, Virginia. Take a look at the schools if you don't believe it. Loudoun County used to have famously good schools. People wanted to send their kids to those schools. Now those schools are run by lunatics who hate the country. It happened fast, it always does. Here's video from a county school board meeting just two days ago. The first person you're going to see in this video is a middle school teacher called Andrea Weisskopf. Now, as you watch this, keep in mind that Andrea Weisskopf is actually a middle school teacher. She's not a paid actor. We didn't make her up to prove a point. She is entirely real, down to the ostentatiously displayed pronouns in her Twitter bio. Here's Miss Weisskopf explaining how the book To Kill a Mockingbird, a book the rest of us assumed was all about why racism is bad, is in fact itself racist because it causes something called racial trauma due to the fact there are white people in it. <laughs> it's funny how they are so afraid of their children seeing another view of sexuality, gender, or religion. If you want to talk about books that are assigned, let's read To Kill a Mockingbird together. If you aren't willing to consider the racial trauma this assigned book causes black children with its white saviorism, then you have no business discussing any books. Ooh, 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 I have a unique opportunity. I happen to know a black child. He's a little older now. Um, Mo. Have you ever read To Kill a Mockingbird? Yes, I did. I read it in, I think it was 8th or ninth grade, I believe. Good. Because as a white person, I have no idea about the trauma that must have caused you. I thought it was, uh, like I said, it didn't sit with me one way or the other. I mean, the black guy kind of got railroaded in it. But the the point is, is that white saviorism, that's the... That's the that's the key. Yeah, I know, I know. I was waiting for you to say that as a as a child, you were traumatized by the white savior trying to come into the story. Well, ain't it amazing? That's traumatic. But all the stuff they show on Netflix and I'm a that's trauma. Prime yeah, that's trauma. Queen and Slim and and all these uh, Central Park Five, all this trauma based entertainment. Although that's not trauma. Yeah. But if I read a book with, you know what I'm saying, it's based in, I think, like, it was like 30s, I believe, I want to say 40s, if I'm not mistaken. um, Yes. That, you know, just told what happened in a legal case where I did do did get railroad, but it's the fact that the white guy, that's the whole point. It's the white saviorism. That's what they're trying to rebrand because the allyship is is being mocked. I just was like, we got to go one step further. Just want to make sure that I, I, I get it, and it's, maybe it's not a, a, a fair question because mm-hmm. it was so long ago. 
But you said, and I said, well, what did you, th-? I asked you in a stupid way, but so what did you think of To Kill a Mockingbird? Were you impressed? You said, well, it was neither here nor there. You said the black guy got railroaded. So, th- I mean, that was your takeaway? Yeah. Okay. I mean. No, th- that's important because for white people, this is a very important book. Because there is some, I do understand where the white saviorism comes from. Uh, but that's not what it is. But I think that um, as a white man, I, of course, I've read this book. But not in school, because I, I I came through the Dutch school system, so that was not uh, that was not in the curriculum. So I read it later in life, and the feeling I got is, oh, see, good, you know, it can it can work. It wasn't like really saviorism. I didn't feel any of that. Uh, but quite honestly, I had the same. It's like, why is this? That just doesn't seem like there would have to be a big, a little indifferent, actually. Yeah, and, and I will say this on the other side of it, you do get these racially charged books. You get Sounder, you get what, um, uh, you know, those kind of books. It's, but like I said, it's the adults are putting way more energy in it than the kids, right, to be honest with right, you. Right, right. And it's just like, it's another book you have to read. And like I said, it's a fictitious book. So why are we getting so bent out of shape over it? <laughs> it's, uh, it's not like a reality story. Right. You know, I mean, it's other things that we could be reading, you know, uh, or not reading. But the problem is you talk about race and the white saviorism, but her sentence starts off with sexuality. And, and she, didn't, she didn't even, yeah, didn't even mention race at that point. No, then that's, the, that's the point. It's like you don't really care. You're just saying you just want that door to hold. You just want us to hold, hold the, the door, door so you can bring so much other stuff in. And it's like if you think I'm that dumb. Or black parents are that dumb, or even you're saying uh, 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 dark parents. If you, I don't know what to call. I mean, because like you say, you can't say black and brown. You say you can't say people of color. No, I'm, uh, I'm going to say dark. People. No, no, I'm I'm keeping it dark from now on. I'm just going to keep using it. See how that works out for me. Uh, you let me know, okay? So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we well, yeah, is is I don't like I said I don't know what. what well, but you what's know, the argument? What's the what? I get what the argument's about, but I don't understand from one side of it that how naive they think the people they're trying to help are. Uh, well, let's go back That's- to our, let's go back to our mass formation. These people right. are are under spell, so they uh, are probably at this point in this state not capable of uh, of thinking that you're smart, dumb, or, or one way or the other. They're just they're just doing what they're what they've been programmed to do. So, do I have natural immunity? You have natural immunity from a lot of things. No, I'm saying not me personally, <laughs> but what I'm saying, but, but of of like the people they're trying the target audiences is black people, yes. right? They they want to get us riled up, mm-hmm. so we make a big push for it, and then hold the door open, and then they flood all these other propagandistic you're saying um, information in. That's that's the goal. Right, but, but, but that's interesting because this is targeted at dark people. Uh, but it's the white people that get riled up over it. But they need us to buy into it. That's yeah. just, it's, it's it's the same thing with the vaccine. The fact that we won't buy into it is yeah. a real problem for the people that's pushing it. Because if we, if we, and I say this very loosely as a group, but if all in mass, black people are like we want the vaccine, we want the vaccine. 
it would be snow. I'm saying it would be, you know, like uh, you would just, you know, uh, ran up bulldozed by the, I'm saying, by what would be allowed. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We would all be mandated by now. But the fact that we're reluctant mm-hmm. because, you know, we have the prior knowledge and what I call the natural immunity to race. It's like, no, I see where you're going with this. You realize that, right? I know you're in formation, but mm-hmm. my natural immunity protects me from the BS. And it's like, no, I'm not going I'm not willing to go that route. So I think that's why they, they can't understand it. Like why the calculations are there. Like we're saying all the magic words. We're saying race. <laughs> why is it not working? Right. And props, mad props to Kyrie. Yeah. Good on him, man. And and and, and they sent since you brought it up. I mean, because the reason why I gotta go here because if it reached your radar, which you're not, you're a non-sports fan. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, it's working. <laughs> the, 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 the lady that ousted, uh, they ousted uh, Rachel Nichols for um, um, uh, Kayla. I oh, the, her the, 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 the ESPN uh, reporter who yes, also got sidelined. The, yes. No, 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 not not Sage, not Sage Steele. Oh, no, okay. No, oh, no, okay. The one they replaced Rachel Nichols with. Uh, she, she is, um, yes, this, she this came is out, she, outside of my pay she grade. Came, she came, no, she came out, out after Kyrie. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like they couldn't, I think Malika like Andrews. That's it. Malika. Yes. She's the one replaced, uh, Rachel Nichols. Nichols. Rachel Nichols. Mm-hmm. And now she's earning her keep by going after Kyrie. And in a way, kind of going at the right uh, and say still, which is the one saying ESPN was making them mandating them. So what I'm saying is, you're seeing when you get that spot, <laughs> it comes at, it comes with a price. Oh yeah, um, and she's having to pay up. She's yeah, Kyrie's uh, holding strong. I got to give him his props. He's holding strong. She's a one dropper. Yeah, she's very light skinned. She's half Jewish, mm-hmm. uh, and she's half Drake. Uh, black. She's yeah. the Drake of ESPN. Got it. That, and that was, but they used a real black woman. And now I say real, <laughs> what I mean, a full black woman. No, because when I say that, I mean, biracial is its own mean. thing. I know no, what you mean. Let me, because I, I want to say this. Biracial is its own thing, which of that's course not it is. good nor bad. I mean, yeah. just embrace it. Yeah. Um, but they, they, but for optics, yeah. they had to use a quote unquote, let me say it properly, quote unquote, a real black woman as the victim of Rachel Nichols. They couldn't use her. <laughs> they had to use another lady that said she was a uh, basically a um, token hire. You know, it's it, it, it it's so disgusting how they do this. Um, again, back to Sharon Osborne. You know, so that whole thing came down. And then she goes on Entertainment Tonight, and it's a race story. Who interviews her? The black guy, of course. It's of like course. it's so obvious, you know, and and it's by itself. That, that I don't know who the, what the guy's name is. He should, he should be thinking, "This sucks. <laughs> don't make me do this story all the time." It's rude. But that's why because Rachel, Rachel, if Rachel Nichols was in the same spot, yep, uh, as Malika Andrews was, and her criticizing Kyrie would be the wrong optics. So these things are got pre, it. Yeah, like, they're pre-planned. It's like okay, we got the NBA season coming up. We might have some rebel rousers. So you're saying uh, some people that don't want to go along with the program and the NFL. I mean NBA being 85 percent black or more. It's likely it's going to be a black person. So we need somebody that's black there or appears black 
criticize these black players. So lo and behold, here you are. And and, it, and I know that sounds far fetched, but that's no, pretty much how not at all. No, I, how the no I, I, I come from that world, Mo. I come from media. That's exactly how they think. You're spot <laughs> so, on. Spot on. But we know it's like I said. Like when we see the, it's the natural. They say the natural well, immunity to the bullshit because right, when but, you see the black reporter sitting down with the. Uh, like the, the case, the one we talked about last time with uh, Officer uh, Bird mm-hmm. from the Capitol. Mm-hmm. They had to sit black reporters down with him. Of it's course. like, okay, oh, now we see what this is. Like, you know what? You know what? But I'll, I'll go back to my my standard, uh, what I think is happening. Mm-hmm. They are still the boule, the uh, intellectual elite, the liberal intellectual elite, uh, Democrats, uh, pol- all politicians. They still are using the old-fashioned messaging system, and they haven't really caught up or figured out how to reach people with with their message. They still are doing it in the old-fashioned way. You know, mm-hmm. do, do sixty minutes interview with the New York Times. You know, maybe do an extra hit with Anderson Cooper just for the looks because the ratings aren't there, um, and it's not working. It's fundamentally not working. Uh, Hollywood can't influence anyone anymore. No one cares. They're, they're tuning out. They're sick of commercials. So people aren't getting the messages the way they used to. The only way, ironically, is clips being played on podcasts and, or mainly, I would say, you know, YouTube. Clips on YouTube, clips on Twitter, mm-hmm. clips on, uh, on Insta. And I said Insta. Um, that's how it's still being propagated. Very inefficient. Very inefficient, and they're still pushing it this way. And they they're going to come to the realization it's just, it's going to stop working. It it will eventually. Uh, I think it already is. It's just going to break. Look at it. It's not it's not working on you. It's not working on on uh, on Black Americans with mandates. It's not working. Well, it's, it's something that you pointed out that just dawned on me. But you're saying it's not working, but I think it is because what they're doing now is they're following the non-traditional media format of reaction to reaction this is how it goes on the youtube side and these kind of things i react to a video and then somebody reacts to my video and then somebody reacts to that video and then i get back to me and then i react to that video that's what they're doing this they're they're doing nothing but the reaction video model it's like it's a good point uh, good point yeah so this this is them trying to mimic answer songs Right, so when you see Tucker Carlson say something, then yeah, Joy um, Reid's going to play Reed that. Told, she reacts to that, and then oh, gives more Tucker Carlson more content <laughs> to react to her reaction, uh, and then hopefully somebody from the outside of the sphere will right. react to it. So what that and, does from your own YouTube experience, mm-hmm. it it hypes up the people watching your stuff, and and they'll be into it. Um, and then, you know, the, and the same for everyone else who's answering your video, but I think it still remains very limited. It's not a mass scale operation because, uh, it's only going to be people who are really, maybe that's not true. You gotta have, but the problem is they don't have talent. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You nailed it. (laughs) They'll never get it right. They have no, Joy Reid indeed has no talent. I mean, she might get one line off, like calling Tuck Cross and Tuckums. Like, that's funny. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But it's like the other things is, it's not, they're not 
talented. This, I mean, this this is why Forty Five Savage beat him. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like easily. they stole something because he's a natural, yeah. uh, talented uh, jokester. You know what I mean? Like when it comes to like cracking or snapping or whatever yeah, you want to call it, he's got he's got game. He's got shtick. Right. That's why he was so successful at it. But then the other side tried to do it. It's like yeah, like and it sounds lame. <laughs> so if you don't have talent, you just don't have talent, and that's what's really being exposed. And they don't have very many talented people in the on the. On, on, in the mainstream, they do not. Uh, because like, when you look at Don Lemon, he's like, "Oh, he'll say something." It's like, man, that was lame, bro. Like, come on, but, but he's entertaining to watch in a lame kind, in a cringe. Yeah, of course, it's like a cr- in a cringe kind of way, which yes. you can react to. Which yes, it's it's beautiful because it's we've won. We we've won, we've broke them to our our model. Oh, but they still had to yeah. do it around commercials, which yeah. is the problem. Yeah, yeah true, <laughs> true. All right, so uh, so now we have Tucker Carlson saying clip. Uh, he had the teacher uh, speaking. Now he's going to have parents speaking out against reacting basically to the uh, to the teachers. Oh, so if you don't consider to kill a mockingbird racist, says Andrea Weisskopf, then quote, you have no business discussing any books. Can you even imagine what this lady's personal life must be like? <laughs> Miserable does not even begin to describe it. Desperate hellish. But if she somehow looks familiar, there's a reason for that. You've heard a lot of lectures like this recently from people like Andrea Weisskopf. Stupid people telling you what you're allowed to say and read. That's essentially 2021 summed up in a single sentence. The scariest part is they're telling your kids the exact same thing all day, every day in school. So what effect is that having on your kids, on all of our kids, on the country itself? Well, over time, the effect is unimaginable. For the last year, most parents have put up with this. Either they didn't know it was happening or they felt powerless to stop it from happening. They were afraid to object, to speak up, as lunatics like Andrea Weisskopf hurt their children. But that's changing, finally. Some parents have had enough of this. Watch this mother at this week's Loudoun County School Board meeting. CRT is not an honest dialogue. It is a tactic that was used by Hitler and the Ku Klux Klan on slavery very many years ago to dumb down my ancestors so we could not think for ourselves. CRT is racist. It is abusive. It discriminates against one's color. Let me educate you. An honest dialogue does not impress, oppress. An honest dialogue does not implement hatred or injustice. It's to communicate with deceiving, without deceiving people. Today, we don't need your agreement. We want action in the backbone for what we asked for today, to ban CRT. I had to come down here today to tell you to your face that we are coming together and we are strong. This will not be the last. Greet and meet respectfully. <laughs> Woo! And as you could hear or maybe uh, infer from what she said, our ancestors, this is a black lady. Mm-hmm. Which this is this is something that they couldn't. No, they had. They had yeah, it makes them crazy. The brain freezes. It's like, what do we do with this? Because if you go against her. Then you're saying it kind of just ruins your whole narrative, but they don't understand that nobody wants to be a victim anymore. Like that's so that's so that's so pre Rona, right? Well, even before then, I mean that's the whole thing is just that. But the problem is with social media, people finally have a voice to say no. If you before, I mean, only what the if you want to only hear what MSNBC has to say. And you were like, well, is that what black people are saying? Well, I guess so. That's what the black anchors are saying. 
or that's what the black lady from Harvard is saying, you know, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. you have uh, uh, people like this woman here coming forward and saying, no, we don't, we don't want to be victims. And we realize that this is the same thing that went on throughout history. Uh, like I said, it's just, we live in the information age. Um, and you can draw the parallels very easily to things that happened in the past. Once you have, yes, certainly when it comes to communication, absolutely. Well, so I see your one black lady at a, uh, at a, a PTA meeting. I'll raise you, uh, a, a survivor of Miles China. Who? I've, I've been very alarmed about what's going on in our school. You are now teaching, training our children to be social justice warriors and to loathe our country and our history. Uh, growing up in Mao's China, all this seemed very familiar. The uh, communist regime used the same critical theory to divide people. The only difference is they use class instead of race. During the Cultural Revolution, I witnessed students and teachers again turn against each other. We changed school names to be politically correct. Um, we were taught to denounce our heritage. The Red Guards destroy anything that is not communist. Old uh, statues, books, and anything else. We are also encouraged to report on each other, just like the uh, Student Equity Ambassador Program and the Bias Reporting System. This is indeed the American version of the Chinese Communist, the Chinese Cultural Revolution. The critical race theory has its roots in cultural Marxism. It should have no place in our schools. How old was she? She must have been up she's, there. Yeah, she's like in her maybe 60 or 70s. I don't want to age her, you know what I'm saying? But she's definitely, I mean, she's a survivor of mouse. So yeah. She has to, you know, uh, be of the, you know, of that age. So you see that, you know, statues being pulled and books being taken out of school, like you heard in the previous clips. It it gives the imagery of Miles China. Uh, and then you have a woman coming forward that survived it and say, yeah, this seems pretty similar. <laughs> to, <laughs> I remember this. <laughs> it doesn't help your case, but where'd you get that from? They, I hadn't heard of, I hadn't heard this woman. Uh, I got it off. Uh, what is it? DC shorts oh, on, cool. um, on, uh, YouTube. So, yeah. Good one. I had not heard. I had not heard, but it was several, it was several women from China. Um, that say now in, in good faith, I have to say, some of these people are just seeking attention. Like a lot of these parents go up there and somebody will go viral and it's like, Oh, I can top that, you know? And then they just start yelling and cussing and that kind of thing is it's not all good faith actors on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to point that out as well. Uh, I, I saw some clips and it's like little kids like, yeah, I don't want to have critical race theory. It's scary. It's like, Bro, like, why are you traumatizing your kids like that just for some airtime? Like, not like it's just because they don't the kids the the adults don't even know what critical race theory is. So how can the kids? And it's like, how do you how do they know it's scary? So that's me just being unbiased on both sides of it. I don't like to see children using that as political props. That, that's that's something that's very yeah. irksome to me. Well, unfortunately, um, that happens, um, and sometimes, yep, yeah. You know, Yes. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So I'm just saying that it, it, it's, I, I just, it's I, gone I too like far it. is what, what you're saying. Well, no, I don't like it because one, it's not effective, first of all. And two, it's 
destructive. It's, it's damaging. Right, it's destructive to the kid. I mean, I thought that the, my point is for the kids. I yeah, it's mean, damaging. No, I understand. Yeah, more more love the kids. So it's like, um, why you why you um bringing the children into this? But you can say the same thing. Well, they bringing the kids into it because they trying to teach them. So I get it from both sides, but. We need to realize if we don't put on the brake sometime soon, we could actually end up in Mao's China. And I have some clips speaking on the uh, cultural revolution and why it was so violent. Yes. And, and listen for the parallels. May 2016 marks 50 years since the start of China's cultural revolution. The decade-long shift resulted in an estimated 2 million deaths alongside widespread abuse, displacement, public humiliation, and torture. At the time, little was understood about the causes and devastating outcomes of the revolution. However, newly released archives have shed light on this dark period of China's modern history. So now, half a century later, what do we know about China's cultural revolution? Well, the revolution was predominantly Chairman Mao Zedong's attempt to establish himself as the leader of the communist world by ridding the country of capitalism and its long-standing traditions. After Mao's Communist Party took power in 1949, the Soviet Union's new leader, Nikita Khrushchev, denounced his predecessor, Joseph Stalin and began to de-Stalinize the USSR. Seeing similarities between himself and Stalin, Mao began to fear a similar fate for himself. So in 1958, Mao launched a national campaign to boost China's economy called the Great Leap Forward, which radically redistributed land among China's rural population and organized workers into communes. The Great Leap Forward failed miserably, decimating the economy and diminishing Mao's role within the ruling party. To regain control, Role, Mao united with like-minded radicals, including his wife and defense minister, Lin Biao, to launch the Cultural Revolution. Yeah. So it was done to retain power. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's what it was that's all about, retaining is. power. Uh, but you heard, like, parents, kids turning on parents and... Uh, turning them in, know. even. Turning them in, like, like we're seeing now with climate change. Yeah. And, and, and masks and... We saw with the with the uh, the Rona, right? If you see somebody outside, call. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, but I mean, uh, kids, kids, kids calling on their parents. You know, that's that's harsh. Well, that's why we've been through this before. Because mm-hmm. um, I was in school at this time. Is your parents abusive? Uh, this was one of the cult, big culture changes that I went through as a child. Was can you spank your kids or not? Oh yeah, right. that was the big argument. Can you spank your kids or not? And it was like, hey, if you if your parents do anything, here's a number and you can call them, you know, on your parents. And that really shifted the power structure (laughs) between the child and the parent. Of course, my mom, Mama Fact, she said, you better if you call them, (laughs) you better hope they get here by the time I kill you. (laughs) You My my mom, my my mom uh, had the hairbrush and, Uh and her threat was. Adam Curry. Oh, no, she would do it. Adam Clark Curry. It's going to be bristle side down. Mm. And was one, was one, of those, one of those really stiff brushes, you know, like, mm, <laughs> with the metal prongs. But that was the threat. Like I said, we've been here before of yeah. kids calling, <laughs> calling the uh, authorities on their parents. So this is just another iteration of that. But now it's off of not actions, but thoughts. And now the kids you, actually have a cell phone. Yeah. And, and, it's, and speed dial. 
Right. And so it's like, oh, uh, but it's, it's, I just find it like it's scary in one sense because I know how fragile these things are and how fast they can spin out of control. And I don't think the the people in play don't take that very seriously or serious enough what they're playing with. So um, I, I guess we can we can get to the second clip of the uh, Cultural Revolution. At a conference in May of 1966, Mao claimed that bourgeois ideas had crept into society and the government and that these elements could only be removed through violent class struggle. In the months that followed, Mao shut down China's schools and mobilized students into paramilitary units called Red Guards. The groups attacked and killed teachers, intellectuals, and eventually ordinary people they suspected of undermining the communist system. The movement infiltrated the military, workers, and even the ruling party itself. By the late 1960s, tens of thousands had been forced out of cities in an effort to purify urban areas. And millions had suffered rape, abuse, arbitrary imprisonment, or torture. Some of the most horrific violence occurred in rural villages in southern China, where revolutionaries were known to practice ritualistic cannibalism in the name of revolution. Wow. That's harsh. In opposition. Yeah. So this happened. I think people don't really appreciate how fragile civility is. And I always talk about that proverbial glass. And are we prepared what's on the other side of that glass breaking, you know, of that metaphorical glass breaking? Um, Because the, these families kill each other. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's very, it's very alarming. And that's why I've, tried to push the empathetic listening and uh understanding because you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube on these kind of things the thing that's probably closest right now to what was happening then is the sunrise movement mm-hmm. uh, and if you followed them so it's predominantly young 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 people young children not children but young uh and they're very they're very radical when it comes to climate change and they're just kids in my mind, but they're the leadership of Sunrise. Very, very radical. Again, it's the you know the people from the '60s with uh, with true uh, Marxist training mm-hmm. uh, from back in the day, and they're leading them. So it, there's, there's definitely it definitely needs to be be uh, looked at, scrutinized carefully. What's taking place? We we have to because. As we hear with the military, they're being pushed with the critical race theory. People on their jobs are being pushed with it. It's this constant uh, unsettling, uh, as as the guy said before, an object of anxiety. Yeah, that it's a constant the pushing of the uh, the object of anxiety, and then you have that, and then you have the DOJ directing the FBI to crack down. Every day in this country, the government under Joe Biden or whoever is running the joint infringes more and more upon our freedoms, pushing Americans closer and closer to the edge. The latest, the attorney general of the United States instructing the Department of Justice and the FBI to address threats against school boards and teachers over COVID-19 restrictions, masks and critical race theory, saying those threats should be discouraged and prosecuted. The memo reads that, quote, constitutional protections don't extend to efforts to intimidate individuals based on their views. Wait, what? (laughs) A primer. 
The Constitution protects actions and speech where individuals seek a redress of their grievances. Now, however, the AG seeks to remove that constitutional right if you're a parent concerned about how your children are being taught. The DOJ actually threatening parents concerned about their children. But it's okay to follow a U.S. senator into a bathroom and threaten to take her out of office. It's okay for Black Lives Matter rioters to intimidate and literally burn down our neighborhoods and businesses. But mama, don't even think about objecting to the ideological racial hatred being hoisted upon your own children. This is viewpoint discrimination which is particularly disfavored by the courts because it restricts speech on a given subject matter. Yeah, it's so, you know, this whole DOJ going after the parents, I, I think that was more uh, posturing than anything. I'm not, I'm not so sure how serious it is. You know, as when they put stuff on the books. Just like when you had the thing say, oh, we're any terrorist anywhere. <laughs> we can go after them. It's true. It's, it's on the books. It's on the books. And, the, and yeah. the only reason why they didn't, they couldn't call people domestic terrorists up until this point because you had to have some official tie to a uh, foreign terrorist group. That's the only reason they can't hit you with like the domestic terrorism charges now. Um I did that. I found that out in my studies and, uh, and wormhole, uh, on the January 6th thing. That's the, only that's where thing it started. That's where it started. That's where they started yeah. calling them DVEs, domestic violent extremists. Right. Which so, is not, the, not thing, the same as a terrorist. Co- of course not. Cause a terrorist has to have ties to a foreign <laughs> terrorist typically, operation. Typically, yes. Yeah. I mean, no, what I'm saying is by law, by law, that's if you're going to get charged, uh, you had to have ties well, to Well, remember, dur- during Obama, there was some change and became enemy combatant. And there there are some, there's like some wishy-washy stuff. They can just, basically, they can just pick you up a black baggie and throw you in Gitmo anytime they want. Yeah, if they that's want. Pretty I mean, of course much they it. have that. Of course, that's, <laughs> that's pretty that. much but, it. <laughs> but that's my point. Like, it's on the books now that if you go to the wrong PTA meeting and say the wrong thing, we heard the story last time of the guy that went to the Capitol, uh, didn't go in, and that guy overheard him talk, his neighbor overheard him talking about it and called the feds on him. Right. So, I mean, let's not think this is far-fetched, and this is where my problem comes in at, is because now no one can be critical of the education their kids are getting, which infringes upon my rights, because if I want to go and say, and say my piece uh, at a pta meeting or uh, a school board meeting i should have that right i'm not should have that i have that right (laughs) not should i have that right and it shouldn't be afforded to me by the first amendment and it shouldn't be infringed on so this is where the rubber meets the road at for people like me is that y'all can do whatever y'all want to do but you start saying i can't voice my opinion on an entity entity that controls like one third of my kids day and I have a problem with that. I have a huge problem with that. Have you been so, to a school meeting, school board meeting? I, ha- I have not. I live in a county that the school superintendent is, uh, I want to say, not say anti, but he's not in favor of masks. If you want 
your kids not to wear a mask, that's possible. They were one of the earlier schools that went back. Um, so it's really like a, it's kind of like a red stronghold mm-hmm. uh, in Northern Virginia. I mean, and you see the demographics kind of changing, but I'm ground zero here uh, in Northern Virginia. Uh, the the county I live in, it leans more red in the school, in the school superintendent. Uh, he's not anti-mask, but he's, um, you can get waivers. So your kid didn't have to wear masks to school. And, you know, uh, was one of the first earliest schools in this area to go back Mm -hmm. to full day last year. So, um, like I said, it's just, it's just weird. And uh, I was going to go to these school board meetings and make a fuss, but then I was like, you know what? Just sever ties with the entity. Um, and then do it, do it. It's kind of sad to say, cause my dad's I was gonna say, and then just do an episode of Mo Fox. <laughs> I could, or yeah, I could definitely do that. Um, uh, it's sad because my dad, it, 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 he's always been an educator, but professionally he was an educator, and I never thought it would get like this. But I saw the kind of handwriting on the wall when, towards the end of his career as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um. It would it was just changing so fast. Um, so it's like I said, it's kind of sad. I mean, well, it's sad, but it's also an opportunity, Mo. I think it's an opportunity for the the people and the communities themselves to retool, uh, recreate their own their new schooling system. I mean, I I will say this. I mean, I do. uh, I am a owner of certain privileges that I've worked from home. You know, so that does help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all parents don't have that option. So that's one of the difficult things. Um, I, like I, said, I think school could be reimagined. I think that it could definitely be changes to be made where you don't have to. I mean, like, it doesn't have to be binary, like no public schools anymore. No, but, but I, th- I, I think I think it has to be reimagined, Mo. It has to be. It has to, no. It, I, I totally agree with you on that. It has to be reimagined. But you can't fix this. What's happened here is is no longer fixable. It just has to be re, redone. I really, yeah. I really believe that. I really think that you. There's so much middle management administration, and it's poison. It's just poison. You, I don't think you can cut the poison out. It's the unions. I mean, let's just be well, let's, that. Let's, yeah. let's, let's just keep it. I mean. Right where the problem's at, it's the unions. And I know we have teachers out there, but the unions even get in the teacher's way. Mm-hmm. Um, this, it's Like I said, it's, it's, uh, it, one of the problems is the teachers are underpaid. The quality of teachers, uh, lateral entry. I mean, there's a whole bunch of whole stuff. Oh, yeah. no, I, I, I know a lot of teachers, and yes, they're, uh, technology issues. They The whole lockdown was a mess. It was a mess. But why did it have to be? That's why I don't understand of we have Zoom. Uh, Why is it so hard to teach? We have Khan Academy. We have all these things. Why is it that it's so hard to get students in front of teachers? I don't don't understand what the problem. I know what the problem is because they have these contract deals with these uh, these providers and these people that create these systems that that's part of it. That that's yeah. part of the problem. Um, the it's very it's it's not that easy to teach via Zoom. Certainly, if you've never been doing it, 
Um, and I, and I, my only, I have an example of this where several years ago I did a, uh, a speech at a college in New Jersey uh, in a media class, and I was invited back to do that again uh, during the uh, during the Rona. So the first time I was at the school and all the students were in the auditorium. Uh, the second time uh, I was on Zoom and I had twenty six windows, and mm-hmm. it sucked balls. You cannot make contact. You cannot get a, and the, and some of them were actually interested. So it's not just a bunch of kids who are forced to sit there. You, you cannot get the human contact that is critical for communicating ideas. It, it, it It's not there. And I'm sure that, you know, distance learning, and of course, lots of people do colleges, etc. But for young, uh, for young students, I think it's, it's almost impossible for teachers to convey anything. But certainly if you're talking classrooms of 20, 30 so, strong. I'll push back against that. Okay. Because the kids have no problem connecting when they're gaming. Oh, no, but, but but listen to what I'm saying. The teachers, no, the teachers don't know how to do it. The teachers don't know how. The kids understand. The teachers do not know how to teach in this manner. No, I, I agree. That's what I'm saying. Is that? But why are we not trying to fix the problem? It's because the teachers don't want to be phased out. Or this? I mean, it's the same conversation we're having with the media, right? <laughs> The current yes. media doesn't fit the system. Yeah, good point. Uh, it's the, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. same thing. So yeah. is, do we restrict the kids? Because the kids have no problem with connecting. Well, I actually like your idea there. <laughs> I mean, I like the gaming idea. I think if kids could go in and could do like a Grand Theft Auto, except, you know, it's their teacher they're shooting. Whoa, that, wait, would, that would engage. That would be very I would engaging. more like Roblox. I mean, because these kids, like you have a little, you know what I'm saying? Like, um... And what I'm just saying is I don't accept that it can't be done because that's not how we think, right? I mean, you're oh, no, no, I've, podcasting. So, I mean, obviously... No, I'm, it, it can be done. I'm just saying yeah. I don't know if it makes sense to try and fix these people. First of all, the quality is the quality of teachers. Mm-hmm. I, mean, let's just, I mean, just keep it 1,000. Uh, you can walk in with a four-year degree and lateral entry and walk into a classroom in a very short period of time. Of course, I don't want to generalize because it's different from state to state. But with lateral entry, you don't have to have the four-year teaching degree with the, you know what I'm saying, with the, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of like with being a nurse. It's like, they're saying, okay, you have a four-year degree, you can come be a nurse. And then we'll teach you how to be a nurse on the fly. Right. What? <laughs> I, uh, huh? Like, really? That's, that's, that's what we're doing with uh, our most prized possession, our children. Unfortunately, yes. So that's where it's broken at. But you want to keep the wages down because the unions need to make their cut. So, <laughs> so they can build airports. As I said, so, I think homeschooling is the way to go. <laughs> I think you're doing a good thing there. I think hybrid is the way to go. I, I, I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. There's some kind There's some kind of win-win there. But um, with that said, uh, we got to go thank some more people that allow us to do what we do. I like brand new money. I just, I don't want any money around me. It's not, I'd almost rather have a, a new one than a brand, than an old 20. Now, that's kind of dumb, isn't it? But there's something about new money that excites you. You like $100 bills? Oh, yeah. I like oh. new money, too. Oh. Most beautiful thing on earth is a $100 bill. I hadn't seen a woman as good looking as a $100 bill. There's something about a $100 bill that excites you. <laughs> 
are indeed going to thank uh, the remaining producers for episode number 68 of MoFax with Adam Curry. And a reminder that you can also use uh, a very cool new podcast app. Not one, there's about eight or nine of them. And with that, you can also support us directly uh, with value for value streaming payments. Go to newpodcastapps.com to find, just try a new app and you'll see new features such as um, the chapters. By the way, Dreb Scott, who does the chapters for MoFax, uh, is going back and is um, is uh, uh, creating chapters, and we're doing transcripts all the way back to show number one. So retroactively, you'll be able to uh, get the full-on experience and jump around uh, in the podcast uh, through the chapters, but also you'll be able to search in the transcript. So we're, we're making our, hey, our school is not going to suck. That's my point. That's exactly my point. <laughs> Our school is going to be great. Uh, so let's look at uh, uh, the rest of our uh, um, uh, producers for 68. Eddie Martin uh, sent us $40. We appreciate that. First time donating. Um, he says, been here since day one. I'm an OF, no agenda. OF? What's OF? Oh, maybe he meant OG and he hit the F by accident. Maybe. I'm an OG. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just think it is. I'm an OG, no agenda listener, going back to 2013. I was unemployed for 18 months due to COVID and figured it was time to donate to one of my top five podcasts. Mo, I feel like we have a similar background. We're the same age. My mom's family is from Winston-Salem. I grew up in Atlanta. So you feel like one of the homies. Keep the truth coming. Thank you. The 40-year-old DJ. And he didn't ask for it, but if it's a, a first time donating, I think we, we need to, it. We, we got to do it. Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat. Andrew Lawton sends off $35 to us and says, Mr. Curry and Brother Mo, thank you for the great content. Shout out to the GG33 family and Gary, the numbers guy. I'm sending you all the love and light. Namaste. And we appreciate that. And there's the jesting jester. Um, he says he sent a message with a sketch of his attached for us to check out. Did you see the the message with the I sketch? I did not. I searched by all available oh. uh, information I had. PayPal's doing this weird thing where they're not showing the emails anymore. I was, yeah, I was just going to say. You saw that? Well, it, hmm, this is what they're not showing the email addresses. For all, I mean, for some they do. They used to show them for everybody that sent you something. Oh, man. Uh, but I went back and searched by all the available, the jesting gesture, the gesture jargon, uh, and, you know, whatever information was provided. I didn't see the sketch or the letter. I feel kind of bad, but if you resend it, we'll make it have a make good on the uh, next show. Yeah, I, I was just going to check real quick. Let me see if I, because I, I recognize, recognize his name. Uh, but I don't think I saw, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. If there's something that we missed somehow and it looks like it, send it off to us. We'd love to see it. Might it. be the attachment, too, if you attach something in there. So Could be. It gets uh, funky. Kevin Simone sends us 33 value for value. David Fox, $25, would love your work. And uh, here's all the way down to the, uh, the final donation uh, name and donation amount. We've got... Michael Zavala, actually, it's so short today. You guys could do better. Uh, I'll read them all. Uh, Michael Zavala, twenty-two, twenty-two. Always great stuff. Uh, lavish behind-the-scenes podcast. Yes, I don't. I'm not familiar with behind-the-scenes. Is it? Have you heard it? 
Yeah, I actually did an episode yesterday. Oh, really? It should be coming out soon. Yes. Oh, cool. In the oh. No Agenda Universe. Oh, uh, excellent. So. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, let me know. Yeah. need to, to yeah. plug that. Josh Naughton, $20. Hey, Adam and Mo, we found out about Adam from TikTok. What? Mm. You found out about me on TikTok? Wow. Are you are you doing those videos, Adam? <laughs> I love I love the dance, man. I I want to do the one where you change your clothes and you go boom, da, boom, da, boom, da, boom. <laughs> Tina won't let me. Um, I found him on Joe Rogan. Oh, started listening after Adam mentioned Mo on No Agenda. I was lost in the narrative and had lost hope. You guys brought me back. Thank you. Hit me with a goat and some cancel cannon. Peace. <laughs> No goat was hurting that. Uh, no, no, none was hurt. Uh, <laughs> Charles A. Fondasanda, $20, fighting the good fight. All the hmm, emoji, Eureka, California, all the, I can't see. Hmm. PayPal doesn't do well with yeah, emojis. Spivey, 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 $20. Still, Spivey, Spivey. Still giving us knowledge. Many blessings, Mo. Brandon. Donator. Yes. Brandon Archer, 20 Need a LeBron James. I did my research quote. Somebody please clip that for us. Yeah. That was funny. That <laughs> I was funny. didn't realize that. That's good. Uh, Ned L. Ayers the third, praying for you and Adam on the back end. Peace. Oh, thank you, man. $10. Prayer, prayer is value. That's right. Yes, absolutely. Andrea Walker, $9. Value for value for episode number 67. Uh, I'm sorry. That was David Ackerman with value for value episode 67. Andrea Walker, $5.13. 13 We've got SV with $5. Keep it up. We'll be donating more as I work my way through old episodes, of course. Value for value. Eric Runkle with 5 Here's for October. Y'all are awesome. Keep telling it, uh, telling it how it is. William Hawthorne with 5 Chris Vox, who says, hey, Adam and Mo, not sure if you have an option for recurring donation. If so, let me know. Keep up the great work, and thank you for your courage. Yeah, coming. Coming. We just keep promising. It's coming. Mm-hmm. But I also like the fact that you remember yourself. So appreciate it, Chris. Joshua Goodson, first time donating. Can I get a D dead beating? You bet. Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat. We appreciate the five spot. Also from Yarbrough, who gave us two, actually. So a total of 10 and uh, says uh, another great show, Mo. Uh, thank you very much. And then finally, at the bottom, as always, ladies and gentlemen, it is the human subscription, Terry Keller, who brings us $4.11. It is much appreciated. And thank you. And thank everybody for producing episode 6068 of Mo Facts with Adam Curry. Uh, try a new podcast app so you can uh, use the modern way to send your, your, your value back in real time while you're listening or with a boost. You got to go check it out, newpodcastapps.com. Or donate the old-fashioned way. Go to uh, mofax.com, uh, click on donate, and you will see all of the different options. And thank you again for producing episode number 68. <laughs> We gave people a double dose of the uh, of the of the healing vaccine, or whatever you want to call it. Race, um, <laughs> yes. But, uh, so I thought maybe we should call it the COVID nineteen vaccine um, from Mister uh, Stephen Covey of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, this is something. <laughs> this is something I want to start doing because it was so well received. The empathetic listening. I think we can make this uh, not every show, but just make sure we give people a booster every now and again on their uh, (laughs) COVID-19 vaccine. So this one is Synergy. Um, It should help. 
Habit six, synergize, in a sense, is the fruit of the spirit of win-win. Habit four, the spirit of seeking first to understand, then to be understood. Habit five, then what happens is a very powerful thing. When people begin to interact together genuinely and they're open to each other's influence, they begin to get new insight. Something happens to them both. It creates the possibility of third alternatives, not the either-or approach, not win-lose, lose-win, not compromise. Compromise is one plus one equals one and a half. Positive synergy is one plus one equals three. Negative synergy, one plus one equals one half. In other words, so much of the effort and energy is spent in the adversarialism. <laughs> it's been a while since I've heard him. Right, there's your booster. There's your third booster shot, folks. Uh, that should do uh, it. The, You're good to go now. You're, you're immunized. <laughs> yeah. But, but and, and in all seriousness, that's how you beat this thing is is the empathetic listening, is the synergy, is the seek first to understand it and to be, then to be understood because we don't want to end up like Miles China. No. And I know people like, oh, they'll they roll their eyes, but... Yeah, no, no, no. That's whoever thought we'd see vaccine mandates. Whoever thought we'd <laughs> lock down our whole country. Uh-uh-uh-uh. Time for that is, is over. That's why I'm so aggressive about pushing, you know, the information of just understanding uh, because you even poo-poo the fact that, well, it's just the DOJ and, you know, they're just putting, no, just putting something on the books, that kind of posturing thing. But Dick Durbin is very serious. And this was him at the Kristen Clark's um, uh, confirmation hearings. And I just, I found, I heard these two clips and I found them troubling. Uh, so if people don't know, just a little background, this is Senator Dick Durbin, a Democrat from uh, Illinois. He's the one that gave us Obama, basically, uh, back, <laughs> back when Obama was running. Uh, and now he's back at it again, giving us Kristen Clark, who was, was then the nominee for the lead civil rights division uh, at the DOJ. She was confirmed, but here's her, uh, him speaking on her confirmation. As he knelt on his neck, he stared into a camera with a look, with a look that haunts me to this day. Those nine minutes and 29 seconds took George Floyd's life and changed America's national conversation about law enforcement. Those nine minutes and 29 seconds sparked a global movement and compelled us to bear witness to the reality of racial injustice in our country. In this Senate, we are in a privileged position to face that reality and to continue America's long, sometimes bitter march toward equal justice under the law. That is why I rise today in support of Kristen Clark's nomination to be Assistant Attorney General for the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice. It's worth noting the history of this position. The Civil Rights Division is one of the most important components of the Justice Department. The Attorney General's Office has existed since 1789, 
The Justice Department itself was not created until after our Civil War. During the days of Reconstruction after that war, our nation resolved to take new steps to make a more perfect union through the 13th Amendment abolishing slavery, the 14th Amendment's guarantee of due process and equal protection, and the 15th Amendment's protection of all citizens' fundamental right to vote. Always nice to see a Jamaican coming in to uh, <laughs> to, uh, to protect uh, our, our, our African-Americans. <laughs> yes. So that's one thing, and just for all all clarity, she is married to a white man. Which oh I mean no, that, it's yes. a horrors. <laughs> no, what I mean by that is that it's it's just amazing that these people they get to be so. Uh, well, they're above they're above it. They have special privileges and rights. You know, it's like they can they can do whatever they want. Which is like I said, you can marry who you want. You can love who you want. My issue is that perspective uh, if you dedicate your life to race and those kind of things you would think one of those things is passing those genetics on to you know inside the culture but it's, it doesn't seem that way and I think and, and, and what my problem is this when you look at Suzanne Rice when you look at uh, uh, Kamala Harris when you look at this lady it's it's a trend there. What is the trend? You, you see, I mean, yeah, of course I see the trend. The trend right. is non non African American African Americans. Right. That, that, that's that's my point. Like how how are you finding all these non African American African? Uh, I can't even say it. Non African American African Americans. Right. Uh, why are you finding all these? Uh, well, it doesn't matter because they're dark. That's my point. So yep. it's. My point is the perspective is lost yes. because even if you married a black American man, and the reason why I'm saying this is because this was so important important to uh, Barack Obama's yeah that he had that he had Michelle career right. <laughs> yeah. So why is it not uh, in reverse the same thing? Why are we not? Of course, if Obama was married, to, and we're just going to pull the rug back for a minute. If Obama was married to a white woman. He would lose all racial credibility. Let's just keep that. Oh, totally. Keep it 100%. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. But why is that not reciprocal? Well, because it's not fair. No, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I mean. I mean, why? Yeah, be, obviously, because uh, shut up. Just shut up. You just, they'll, they'll do whatever they want. I mean, it's it's hypocritical. It's it's crazy. Right. And But if you, when you point that out. Like I said, if Obama and Obama was aware of this, he knew he had to marry a, a Michelle. Let's not say Michelle itself, but he had to marry a Michelle. It was, he was saying it was, he knew how it would be perceived because they were like, well, you're not really one of us. But the fact that he was yeah, that, tethered and that, tied in. That, that gave him the cred. Exactly. So I'm just wondering why it's not, that's why I raised the issue of her race of her spouse but, or, or her lineage because it's just not, it's not, it's not fair. I think the lineage. I think that's a, as a trend. I think that's an interesting observation. Mm-hmm. It was the combination of both for me. Yeah, it's sure. Like, why, sure, sure, why sure. is this? Why is this the? And I'm asking this from the point of why is this the combination that the powers that be are pushing to the top? Because we all know in these positions, you're kind of handpicked. 
to be groomed for these positions. Oh, definitely. Early on in your career. So what what is going on here? So with that said, uh, let's get into the second clip from Durbin. The Department of Justice was created after the passage of those amendments and entrusted with the responsibility to defend the rights of Americans, particularly the newly emancipated, formerly enslaved Americans. Given the department's immediate imperative to protect and preserve civil rights, President Ulysses S. Grant appointed Amos Ackerman to be the first attorney general to lead this new department. Why? He had extensive experience in prosecuting voter intimidation as the U.S. attorney in the state of Georgia. More than 150 years later, the Civil Rights Division, the Justice Department, now is entrusted with that constitutional responsibility. The division enforces federal statutes prohibiting discrimination based on race, color, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, disability, religion, national origin, and citizenship status. And just as President Grant appointed a legal expert with a breadth of experience to lead the newly formed Justice Department in 1870, today, President Joe Biden has chosen Kristen Clark to take up the mantle as the head of the Civil Rights Division. With her breadth of experience defending the civil rights of all Americans, Kristen Clark is singularly qualified to lead this division, particularly at this moment in history. And Madam President, Kristen Clark will be the first Senate-confirmed woman of color to do so. The first. Ah, and there it is. First. That's what counts. That's what it's it. That's who really cares if she's any good. She'll be a woman, and she's dark. Yes, but the reason why and did he? Wait, again, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, did he actually say African American woman? I just want to check. No that. color, woman of color. Oh, okay. So he he yeah. did that right. All right. Yes, the woman of color. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the Colored reason woman. why I bring this up is because uh, Clarence Thomas was r- railroaded and ridden down because of who he married. You see, you see, this, this why is this different? It's not really, but I have to point this out. Now, I, I'll, I'll I digress on, on uh, a, a bit, but I want to go back to another point. Amos Ackerman. Mm-hmm. Why did he invoke that name? Why, why that name specifically? I'll explain to you why. Amos Ackerman was famous for going after the KKK. Oh, this was his claim to fame. Now we're going to go and get into Mr. Amos Ackerman and and his past. But yes, this was, he went after the KKK. Now Kristen Clark is going to go after the KKK. Which, which, yeah, which, yeah, (laughs) you got the KKP. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the whole point. This the school board. This comes from her desk. This, all, all of it. This is what this is about. Is going after. First, we all. First of all, we have to label them as terrorists, and then we have somebody that's going to invoke uh, the same spirit as uh, uh, Amos Ackerman. Uh, are you ready to hear about Amos Ackerman? Uh, yes. One moment. I wanted to add. Yes. yes. That. Um, I think yes um 
our friend uh, uh, Crenshaw, Kimberly Crenshaw, just because you brought it up and my I mm-hmm. caught it earlier. Uh, I believe that she, here it is, she assisted legal team presenting Anita Hill at the U.S. Senate confirmation hearings for Supreme Court at? Justice Clarence <laughs> Thomas. Isn't that interesting? I don't find it interesting, but not surprising. No, not at all. <laughs> all right. Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm very uh, keen to hear about uh, Mr. Ackerman. All right. 36. Fuck the police products. <laughs> Hold on. Stop. Stop. I, I, I do a poor job. <laughs> this is okay. Value, <laughs> value for value. This is why value for value is so important. It was, wasn't long enough to cut into a separate clip. So they're going out of one segment. On this podcast, this is what was it? Behind the police, Behind the police. with yeah. with uh, Robert Evans. I don't know if you heard of him or not. I mean, Rob, Robert e- the the movie producer Robert Evans. I don't know if that's the movie producer. Okay. I know he's a popular podcaster and journalist. Oh no no no, that's something different. Okay okay. Uh, and rapper, rap artist, propaganda, aka Jason Petty. So they're going out of one segment, and then they have to go mm-hmm. into ads. And then they come out of the ads into their talking uh, uh, <laughs> with F the police, so, right? So I want so no, they went into the ads of saying these are the F the police products. Oh, it's I like, got you. I, I'm I got wondering you. like whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Do y'all police. not get flagged for that? Yeah, I really. Mean, over there, I mean, no. So I, I, I left that in there so you could you could play the first ten seconds of the transition. Yeah, of course, of course. And we can let people know what they don't have to tolerate due to uh, value for value. Uh, fuck the police products. We're back. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what I love is being back from ads because it means yeah, that yeah. we can talk more about the horrific history of racism and law enforcement. <laughs> the terror and trauma that sits inside of my DNA and yeah. it's passed on generationally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Should have had an air horn there. So, uh, starting in 1870, um, President Grant began to lobby Congress to give him power to do something about the Klan. Uh, because, again, local law enforcement was actively aiding and abetting the KKK. Yeah. In 1870 and 1871, uh, Congress passed the Enforcement Acts. These protected the rights of black men to vote, hold office, and serve on juries, and generally enjoy equal protection under the law. The Ku Klux Klan Acts, as they came to be known, allowed President Grant to call up the army to or- in order to arrest and break up the bands of disguised night marauders. And we're going to be like 99% critical of law enforcement on this podcast, but we got to be fair when it's important to be fair. And federal yeah. law enforcement did a pretty decent job on breaking up the Klan. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is this is where things get really complicated, Prop, because a lot of the credit for this goes to Amos Ackerman, the Attorney General of the United States. Okay. Ackerman joined the Republican Party after the Civil War and became one of the nation's most strenuous advocates for black suffrage. He was like, "Black people have the right to vote and hold office, and we will. I it, I will make sure we enforce this with fucking riflemen if we have to." Mm, okay. Oh yeah, he's serious. He said hardcore. The so, um, you heard what the, the we tried to deal with with ads. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm. Hey man, I, I I couldn't believe that I was talking to Megan Kelly, and then she she took a break to sell GenuCell, which is some beauty product. It's, uh-huh. it's sad. It's just well, yeah, sad. Well, you having this heavy conversation? It's like, oh, we got to do a break. Now we're yeah. back, so we can talk more about this uh, oppressive racism. And then the guy's like, yeah, it's deep in my genetics that I pass along. It's 
this podcast is so cringe. It's like <laughs> everything we do, if you did it completely wrong. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry to say it, but um, yeah, but you heard him get strong with it. Oh, yeah, he wouldn't enforce it with effing rifles if he had to, right? Mm. Well, Mr. Ackerman has a very interesting past before he start working for the DOJ. And here's where things get complicated, because oh, before no. he was a Republican, before he was the attorney general, Amos Ackerman volunteered and fought in the Confederate Army. Sheesh. <laughs> People have layers yeah. of complication. People are complicated. They in them contain minis. Yeah. Um, and this for Amos, this seems to have been like he was. It seems to have been more a matter of like you hear about these folks who are like really loyal to their state for reasons. Yeah. I have trouble understanding. Like he doesn't seem to have joined the Confederate Army specifically to fight for slavery, although he fought for slavery because that's what the Confederate yeah. Army fought for. But in his mind, I think it was more like I'm really loyal to Georgia. I don't know. I can't get in the head of that guy, but I guess if you can make that up, he tried to afterwards. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I, I want to give it to the possibility that people, uh, probably hundreds of them at the time. You know, like you said, just was like, look, we're down here. This is what we do. We fighting for our way of life. I guess that's right. And in the middle of that, finally had this like, you know, this is bullshit. You know what I'm saying? And was like, but if you're the onlyest person for miles talking like this, it's probably hard to find some good community and you're probably going to fumble and then you become this guy to where you're like, hey, there's one thing I can do. I could probably like dismantle this clan thing. That seems yeah. like a good thing to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, this is where you see how history is not being taught in uh, <laughs> school. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> my, my issue is from the, the left, they're all, if you have anything to do with Confederacy, we gotta tear down your fact uh, right away. Uh, oh yeah, right, right away. Everything look, gotta go. Looking at that twenty, you, that, looking through the twenty twenty one lens, you look like a real racist, right? But here, it's like, well, you know, he kind of did something that we liked for a little while, so that kind of erases everything that he did for the Confederacy. Uh no, if you want to have it your way, then anything that Mister Aikman stands for, even when Dick Durbin brings him up. No, no, he has to be shouted down because hmm. you know he, he he fought to protect slavery. At, as these gentlemen said, he fought for slavery by their by their calculations. But you see how it works. It's oh, not yeah. about facts. No, no, <laughs> it's no. never about facts, and that's why he set it up the way he did with the strong language in the first clip. Like he said, with effing rifles. He was going to do it. You're like, yeah, we know it's, it's another shooter drop. What is the point of this uh, behind the police thing? Uh, just to say how bad. Uh, no, no. I mean, how, what, what is the point? Of, is it, It's a podcast, right? Right. What is the point of the podcast? You heard we said 99% critical of police. He, he made it quite clear what it was about. Okay. Uh, no, I'm just saying that's, that's the point of it. And then he has his, uh, uh, Mr. Jason Petty with him. It's just like no, if you fought for the Confederacy, there's there's no backseas on that. I mean, that's just if you're about the work that they're about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, their work. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't work. That's that goes to show you that they're they're it's all bullcrap. Yeah, it's all political. It's all about who we can get to manipulate people to go cast a vote. At the end of the day, 
That's all this about. Do you think they really know that? These people, these, these guys seem dumb. Well, they're doing a podcast on it. It should be their, what I'm saying is the emotional intelligence side of it. You know, anytime you say anything Confederate done. on the left, yeah. you're done. It's, it's a wrap. But it's like, well, let's sanitize this guy because we kind of got to need him for what we need him for. The same way Dick Durbin did. Why didn't Dick Durbin bring that up? That he was a former Confederate uh, soldier. He just kind of like glossed over the whole thing. Like, well, you know. Well, we know why. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that the, the headline is DOJ uh, uh, confirmation receives praise for a uh, federal Confederate soldier. Right. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter. None of this matters to these people. They just talk out the side of their neck. Um, but it's like they have this. It's not logical. It's not based in any. Okay, well, let's weigh out what what these people impact was. No, it's just well they did something we like, so it just erased everything. We don't know anything about this guy. We didn't know what he did for his prior years. Right. Well, working for the DOJ. well for sure. This podcast that these guys doing are uh, doing sucks. So, yes. so <laughs> they really suck because they, they're being disingenuous, dishonest. Well, it continues on part three. Yeah, if there's a thing that can make up for volunteering to serve in the Confederate Army, I guess it's dismantling the KKK. I guess, like that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like that's a good, that's Pause. a good, it's a good, good place try to start. <laughs> yeah. Paul, so now I want you to pay attention. Sorry about that, but I want you to pay attention to their definition of dismantling. Now he's saying they dismantled the Klan right in uh, Reconstruction, so that doesn't make any sense. But um, let's listen to their definition of dismantle. Yeah, if there's a thing that can make up for volunteering to serve in the Confederate Army, I guess it's dismantling the KKK. I guess, like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a good, that's a good, it's a good, good try at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the worst Klan violence was in South Carolina, and Grant declared martial law in that state, citing a condition of lawlessness. He suspended habeas corpus, uh, and numerous Klansmen were rounded up by federal authorities, including Sheriff Rice Rogers, uh, who we, we have been talking about. A lot of, lot of sheriffs got pulled up in this so the senate <laughs> held extensive hearings where hundreds of black victims of the clan were allowed to tell their stories to the nation under ackerman's direction 600 clansmen were convicted and 65 of them sent to a federal penitentiary by 1872 the clan was no longer a meaningful force in the united states yeah. frederick Douglass himself said that without president grant's actions black americans would have been trapped again in a condition almost identical to slavery that is probably true but it's also true that grant kind of botched the landing on this one Hiring Ackerman to appease his political rivals and commuting the sentences of some Klansmen in a bid for reconciliation. So again, oh, so, so <laughs> six hundred arrested, sixty six sent to federal prison, and then Grant goes and commutes some of those sixty six. Uh, right to get him right back sentences. out. <laughs> Sounds like dismelling to me. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. seriously. Well, it was enough uh, to compensate for his uh, fighting uh, with the Confederate Army. So what? Apparently. I mean, sixty six arrest. Yeah. I mean, you. I could trip and fall on sixty six <laughs> Klansmen in Reconstruction back in those and days. It, yeah, for sure. And it seems like this dude was a, he was uh, what we talked about in the last show. A, a, he was flipped. Right. It's like, hey, you want your legacy? Hey, give us the Klan. Right. That's what it seems like to me. And then he was just abruptly fired one year into doing the job. And then 
Grant goes back and commutes their sentences. Like, did, did none of this make sense? And then they say, oh, well, the clans dismantle. Uh, let's get back to business as usual. So putting ourselves back in that in those days, what was the point of the of this of this fake move? Uh, well, 39. Grant's presumed motiv- motivations for suppressing the Ku Klux Klan are dubious. Consider, for example, consider the experience of Amos Ackerman, his second attorney general. Ackerman was the most vigorous of Grant's attorneys general in prosecuting the Ku Klux Klan. In order to expedite prosecutions, he expanded the powers of the then newly created Federal Justice Department. About 600 Klan members were convicted. Yet Grant abruptly asked for Ackerman to resign in December 1871. Partly at the prompting of Secretary of State Hamilton Fish, Grant had misgivings about Ackerman's, quote, obsession, close quote, with the Klan. Perhaps more importantly, Ackerman also frustrated important northern capitalists. He was, for example, critical of the questionable terms under which railroads often qualified for federal subsidies. Racism was just as prevalent in the north as it was in the south. The only difference was that blacks represented but 1%, 1% of the population of the organic Republican states. Those states, those same states, would not have granted blacks the right to vote if blacks accounted for 40% of their population, as it did in the South, where blacks did account for 40% of the population. And he actually spent more money appropriated by Congress to enforce the KKK Acts. He spent most of that money, not in the South, but in the North, in the big cities of the North, to police the elections where the Irish were voting. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, there's a new book out about uh, Ulysses Grant. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, I just saw, I think, um, what's his name? Brett Baer, uh, Fox News anchor, wrote wrote a book about Ulysses S. Grant. I, I actually was thinking, that's interesting. I should probably read that. I don't know anything about him. Well, that will give, this would be a good motivation to read it now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you saw it Ackerman started stepping on the toes of big business that's right uh, step, which step railroads is kind of what it'll be the equivalent probably to pharmaceuticals now uh and it's in this sway at the time um and he had to go and he freed you no know, some of the clansmen so i don't understand like how how did these facts line up for dick durbin to sit up here and celebrate um one to celebrate you no know, mr Ackerman without you know fully if, if if you wanted to be genuine, you would say, "Here's a man that was on the wrong side of history, but he tried to write himself." And that's that's the way you would posture that, right? Well, how about this? How about Dick Durbin wants uh, to do the same thing? He wants to round up a bunch of uh, annoying people and then let them go on the back end. Just yeah, a posture, reason. Yeah. yeah, just just, just a, a posture. posture for that's exactly not not dissimilar to the January six trespassers. Yes. And I say trespassers because that's what most of them are being held on mm-hmm. for now so, nine months, ten months. But what goes, what was I find funny is here's an opportunity for Miss uh, Kristen Clark. Uh, if I make sure I got her name correct, yeah, you did. Uh, yes, Kristen Clark to be a 
uh, Amos Ackerman to hold big business accountable being the pharmaceutical industry and say, no, you can't infringe upon people's civil rights for their personal beliefs and you can't jab them. That would be appropriate from her, certainly as a, quote, African-American. You would think so. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm saying that's that's the point I'm trying to make. Or just from the fact that she's had many cases protecting religious beliefs. And, you know, um, this is not her first rodeo. So you're on the clock. If you side with, you know, what I'm saying with Big Pharma and allowing these things to happen, you're you're just a, you know, a, a spoke in the wheel of, you know, oppression mm-hmm. that you claim to be against. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You, but this is the point. Facts do not matter as your clips you gave me about um, a mass formation. Uh, he's going to point out that facts do not matter. So what happens is that um, uh, at that moment, when people experience this mental intoxication, it doesn't matter anymore whether the narrative is correct or wrong, even blatantly wrong. What matters is that it leads up to this mental intoxication. And that's why they continue to go along with the narrative, even if they could know by thinking for one second that it is wrong. Because for people, it doesn't matter when the narrative is wrong. And what we all try to do is we all try to show constantly that the narrative is wrong. But for people, that's not what it is all about. It's all about this the fact that they don't want to go back to this painful state of free-floating anxiety. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I can see by the title of your next clips that I should just wait to tell you <laughs> what he said is the solution. Uh-huh. Or do you want to know now? Which, well, uh, you. I'll say this. Let me, let me just set it up. I have ironclad proof <laughs> that reptilians are behind it all. Now you can go ahead and say what you need to oh, say. Oh, screw I Forget what I was going to say. I want to see the proof reptilians are behind it. Let's go. 41. Seth, I want to start by talking about a problem. So for me, when I'm approached with conflict, my immediate response is I'm angry, I lunge, and oftentimes, even if my response is right in theory, The collateral damage that I cause by standing up for something is so much worse than the original issue. Yeah, well, it's experienced by everybody. And let's understand why it happens first. Wild animals are wild animals because they only have a little tiny brain. And that little tiny brain keeps them alive. It's about fear and revenge and reproduction and anger and let's go. And human beings have that same brain. But we evolved to have this other brain in front, the one that does ballet, the one that does big ideas. But that brain is slow compared to our wild animal brain, our lizard brain. The lizard brain is right next to our uh, spinal cord, and it can go like that. And it floods our brain with chemicals instantly. And this brain takes three more seconds to catch up. And by the time that happens, it's really difficult for that brain to say, calm down, here's the right answer. You just have to walk down an airplane when they're experiencing turbulence. What we know is planes don't crash because of turbulence, but people freak because the lizard brain takes over. We're going to die. But out of sort of the lizard brain has come this idea of the resistance. How does that work? So Steve Pressfield coined the term, and what it means is that there's part of us that doesn't want to be seen. So that's where writer's block comes from. No one actually has writer's block, just like no one gets plumber's block. 
You just do the plumbing. You can't write because the act of writing means you'll be seen forever by strangers. So you hold back. Oh, literally behind it. Hmm? They want us to be like them. Thinking with their little reptilian brains. <laughs> yes, they do. yes, they do. I, yes, they do. Yes, they do. They do. And this dawned on me. I know it sounds far-fetched. No, but, no. But if there's one thing we connect on, Mo, it's lizard people. We connect deeply on lizard people. But it's not the fact that they have scaly skin and little beady eyes and long lizard tongue. It's their brain. brain. They can't think past destroy or, you know, or make, make eat babies or, eat or destroy. That's, yeah. that's it. That's mm-hmm. all they're able to think on the level of. And they want to bring us down to that level of thinking through binary thought. That's the point. That's that's why they want to destroy humanity. Out hmm. of jealousy of our ability to have compassion and to be able to rationalize and think on with our second and third parts of our brain that they don't have. That's the whole point. And the lizard people are behind it. And I know people are rolling their eyes right now saying Mo has flipped his wig. No. But no. That's the point. That's where they want us at. Uh, this is what this gentleman, the clips you gave me, you supplied me with um, at, at my ask uh, to say, this is what they want. They want us in the the little pack or whatever. I don't know what you call a, a pack of lizards. A brood. You would say like they want I don't, us in a little brood. I don't know if it's a brood of lizards. <laughs> I, I don't know. what we, We're going to roll with it, though. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, I think it's a brood of snakes, right? So I think lizards No, it's a brood. It's a, mm, I don't know. Uh, we're going with a brood of lizards. It sounds so much better. Oh, it's um, no, so, wait. It's called a lounge. A lounge? Yes. A group, of, oh, okay. a group of lizards is called the lounge. Well, that's even better. I know. Okay. I'm loving so, this. <laughs> so they want us all in a lounge mm-hmm. uh, of, of lizards just reacting with our little lizard brains um, and not using what we have or uh, what we've been blessed with. Like I said, the ability to use the second and third components of our brain to give us higher thought. And that's what they're jealous about. That's That's why they want to destroy us. That's the whole thing. The lizard people are behind it. And I put my I put my whole chest on it. Well, that's interesting because uh, when I said to uh, Professor DeSmet, I said, all right, so we have this severe hypnotic state uh, of, of the leaders. What mm-hmm. do we do? He said the most important thing is keep talking. Keep speaking your truth. The minute you stop talking, it's all over. And mm-hmm. he said memes and mockery. That's the way to destroy. Why? He because says, he it, says takes a, it breaks the spell. Because why? I mean, we have to look at it. Why, though? Because it only a human brain can, only, detect, can, can interpret it. Yes, you're right. right. You're the, right. the sarcasm, the mm-hmm, joke, the, mm-hmm. the mass humor. And that's why it really is it's it's the most effective tool on their systems because they can't write an algorithm to detect sarcasm. Exactly. Um, no way can that. Well, that maybe one day, but not in this. Not here. How? How can you show the Spider-Man pointing at the Spider-Man meme and have an AI detect what you mean by that? You see, you can't. I told you they they want us dumbed down. It's it's this is the reason why they're coming to schools. 
it's it's a reason why they're coming for the children. Oh, but, but this has been going on for a long time. Of course, the schools and the children, the clo- absolutely, yeah. But this is the closest they ever been to it because, as you said, um, the same way, kind of like teachers and media are outdated, parents are outdated as well. This we're at the same time of you. You came about when television was first, like really becoming television as mm-hmm. we know it now. Mm-hmm. Parents had no clue what television was. It's like it was a stupid box. Mm-hmm. It showed pictures and played music and played, you know, played sound. They don't understand the cultural in, in integration it has. The same way with smartphones and technology is now. The parents are kind of outdated. Sure. Um, yeah. So this is the opportune time to seize the young and turn them into little baby lizards. <laughs> Well, I'm not. I'm not going to let that happen. I will fight tooth and nail to stop the lizard people from stealing our children. That, that, that statement could go so many levels. You like it, huh? <laughs> I could go so many levels. But let's go ahead and wrap up with the lizard brain part two. Okay. How does one, when they're trying to make a, a huge change and take a huge risk? Silence the lizard brains around them. Yeah, I wish we could get rid of it. You can't. The harder you try to get rid of it, the stronger it becomes. What you can do is acknowledge it, go with and, not but. I feel this, and I'm going to do something that works, as opposed to, I feel this, but I'm unable to move forward. So the fear won't go away, especially if we want it to. But what we can do is learn to dance with it. One way to think about it, no one says to their coach, how can I run the Boston Marathon without getting tired? Getting tired is part of the deal. Well, the same thing's true with the work that matters. How can I do it without being afraid? You can't. There's something I carry with me, and uh, Pema Chodron calls it a Shempa Stone. And the idea is, when the fear shows up, you say, oh, there you go. Acknowledge it. When the fear shows up. I don't know that I identify it as fear. Well, if the lizard shows up, it might be fear, it might be anger, it's all that primeval stuff. So the best advice I give people all the time is that you should start a blog and you should write a blog every day. I've done 7,500 in a row, haven't missed a day in more than 15 years. And the reason is simple, because it means every night you go to bed saying, tomorrow, I need to say something in writing. This is going to be out there for years to come. But if every day we're writing something down and putting it out there to the universe, yeah. we're taking a risk and we're going to have to live with those exactly. words and own those words forever. Exactly. And isn't that great? But do you worry that in 2018, we're not looking to solve for getting out of lizard brain? It seems like lizard brain is getting celebrated and winning the game. Wow. <laughs> and that was from what? That was from NBC Better Rules. That is with uh, Seth Godin. Oh, uh, I recognize. Yeah, I know Seth Godin. Sure. Oh, I thought I recognized the voice. (laughs) It's never surprised me who you. I'll be more surprised if you say you didn't know. At this point of knowing you, I would be surprised to see if you when you say you don't know someone. It was. was, It's interesting. We were just talking about Seth Godin because he's doing some other. He's all over the place. Oh no, he was doing he's doing a climate change book. He's a marketing guy. He is, now that's why in this context, Seth Godin knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. He knows very well how the lizard brain works because that's how he made his career in advertising. And advertising plays on your lizard brain. Sure does. I mean, watch the commercials. One hundred percent. Got a new truck. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I have to go get a new truck. 
you know, or 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 my, my my mate or my spouse or mate would think I'm less than the you know the other guy. Oh no, it's like of course, and uh, and if you drink this beer, look at the women you're gonna get. Yes, mating. <laughs> yeah, it, it goes all back to the we're to the lizard folks, brain. We are under attack by lizard people. I mean, they just just say what says, and you can take that in uh, in the metaphorical way that I mean it right now, as in we're we're surrounded by lizard brain people that only think with the the most base human values, and that's a very that's how you end up with Miles China and. MoFax with Adam Curry is here to help ourselves and you fight the lizard brain takeover. Um, the fact that you're listening probably means you're already in a good place. But mm-hmm. for sure, certainly with the outrage that's going on everywhere today, we're all just seconds away from that flip that they were talking about. Boom, in a heartbeat, the lizard brain kicks in, you're, you're out of control. Right, and you and you make a mistake that you regret for a very long time if you live in that space for too long. Well, that's my wrap. <laughs> hey, Mo, thank oh. you. This 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 was. Uh, I like this a lot. I learned so much. Now I feel a lot more empowered about being able to speak about the critical race theory controversy. And of course, you know, sixty-seven episodes of schooling before this has helped me understand a lot more about the people and the players involved. This is another topper, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, Adam. And as I always say, pay attention to everything and the truth will reveal itself. I'll see you in two weeks, Mo, and the live next Wednesday. Eight o'clock. You like this song? I'm going to sing it for you. I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. And give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Let the children's laughter remind us how we used to be. Everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfilled my need. A lonely place to be. And so I learned to depend on me. I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadow. If I fail, if I succeed, at least I live as I believe. No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my was happening to me I found the greatest love of all